from location. Living the American nightmare, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You are now listening to... Notes from the Underground. Observations over strange times. With your host, the narrator. It's good to be back. Mr. Uh, number one on top of the charts for 11 weeks straight. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, gotta <laughs> reclaim the crown, huh? Yeah, you, you gotta reclaim the crown now, because uh, uh, my buddy Josh, dude, that episode is still going. Really? Last time I looked at it, it was at 91 plays. Not bad. 91 plays in like four days, man. That's crazy. Yeah, pretty I, good. I don't care, though. I'm... I have a title picked out for this episode. Yeah. I, I mean, it's by the time this airs, you know, the title will already be on it. So I'm just going to say it. But yeah. I'm going to name this episode uh, Eric Manos 2 Return of the King. <laughs> <laughs> because even though Josh has the number one spot, you held it for 11 weeks. So right, right now you are the record holder. Yeah. Still got the still got the title going. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was trying so hard, too, to get you back on before somebody else moved up into that spot. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. This episode is Eric Manos to Return of the King. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, your first episode's still getting plays, too. Last time I checked the, the analytics on that episode, I think it was at 80. 80, yeah, that's yeah, not bad. at 80 in three months, that's not bad at all, man. No. Gotten a lot of compliments on that episode, too. Like, everybody's like, everybody that I've talked to about that episode is like, man, that episode was great. You know, that really yeah. set the bar, you know. So. Oh, yeah. Well, we had a lot of good material to cover on that. So. <laughs> I wonder how Rittenhouse is doing now. <laughs> I haven't heard much about him in the media at all. The last I saw him... Uh, I want to say it was like a week or two after the trial. Yeah. He popped up on, I think it was like Glenn Beck or Dan Bongino or something. He popped up on one of their shows and did an interview. I know he did one with Carlson. Tucker, with Tucker. Carl- maybe maybe that's who it was then, yeah. Tucker Carlson. Yeah, he did a pretty good job in that interview, actually. Did he? I didn't watch it, so yeah, I, I just it, heard that he popped up. Give it a look. I mean, he, he goes through basically the trial and the events tucker asked some pretty softball questions at the end of the day but obviously he's right. you know, a little bit biased but uh yeah i thought overall it was still a pretty good interview he's he's very well spoken clear concise kid for being 17 yeah. or 18 or however old he is now yeah i mean as uh as good a shot he is he's about <laughs> as good a speech you know <laughs> That whole thing, man. It's it's kind of funny, too, how quick that whole thing just died. It just yeah. died right down. Well, it's because I mean? the media didn't get the result that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Had they gotten the result that they wanted, they would have ran with it. And all you would have seen was gun control, gun control, yep. gun control. So yep. I'm, I'm glad it wound up the way it did. Me that too. could have been a solid mess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but now there's other messes to deal with. We got... Joe Rogan, yeah, which it sounds like apparently he's just starting to capitulate now. Yeah, he's given a lot of apologies, and um, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, at the end of the day, it's freedom of speech, right? Like, you say whatever you want; it's your Spotify. 
and this Neil Young thing. And like, I got news for you, man. You haven't been popular since the seventies. Nobody listens to Neil Young. So if it, if it came down like as me, if I were the, you know, CEO of Spotify and Joe Rogan said, Hey, you know, I'm not really liking what's going on here. And Neil Young is saying, you guys are going to pull me or he's going to pull all of his music. I just call Neil Young and say, okay, well, I'm just going to take off all your music. Joe Rogan is Spotify, like, personified. Right, the guy, exactly. The guy is the reason that people listen to yep. Spotify. He's the reason I went to Spotify. Yeah, absolutely. Not, and not for the podcast either, but for my own personal listening. Yeah. Um, Before he went over to Spotify, mm-hmm. I would either listen to him on YouTube yep. or I'd listen to him on iHeartRadio. Yeah. You know what I mean? Part of that is my own um, technological retardation, I guess you could call (laughs) it, because I I didn't even know Spotify was a thing until Rogan went to Spotify. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you grew up with YouTube. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and like I said, you know, I'd listen to him on iHeart, but it was, you know... 75% 75% of the time I was listening to him on YouTube. Yeah. You know, to 25% of the time on iHeart. You right, know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I remember YouTube when it didn't have ads. Yeah, you remember that? YouTube. Man, YouTube Shit. used to be so great. Yep. Yeah, when it first came out, I remember uh, I was working at Radio Shack and my buddy Hendrix um, introduced me to it on a like demo computer that we had inside of the store. Introduce you to YouTube. Yeah, oh yeah. He's like, <laughs> check this out. And I mean, he's looking up like that Charlie the Unicorn video and you know all the classic like meme videos yeah, like the Sneezing early Panda. Days. Yeah, um, and, uh, what, chocolate rain. Yeah, that cho- guy, oh, yeah. chocolate rain. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty hilarious. So I'm like, man, I didn't know this stuff existed. And I, for like the next two weeks, that's all I did when I got home was just looked up stupid videos on YouTube. You ever see that one? I think it's called The End of the World. No. That one, it was like a cartoon. And it was basically like about all the countries just shooting nuclear missiles at each other. You know, I've I've seen a couple of videos like that, actually. Like, I've I've seen one was really interesting. It was uh, if Germany won World War II. Oh, like an alternate history type of thing? Yeah. Really? Yeah, they did it on that um, Skillshare with um, little stick figures. I mean, there's a couple of them like that, actually. <laughs> but uh, interesting topic for sure. I mean, I was always a big World War II guy, yeah, me Vietnam too. War guy. Didn't really look into World War One very much, but I'll definitely be interested to see, you know, what happens going forward with this Ukraine situation. Yeah, I don't know what to think about that. On the one hand, you know, I remember back in Obama's term. Mm-hmm. When when they went into Ukraine and, you know, Obama, what was it? Was it a red line or was it a line in the sand? Line in the sand. The line in the sand. That was the quote. And Putin's just like, nope. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So I remember that. So to me, on the one hand, it's it kind of just looks like more saber rattling. But on the other hand. Like, I don't know if you saw the opening to the Olympics or not. No, I didn't catch it. I haven't seen much of it. It's been more just like clips and stuff. But it was definitely like China and Russia, United Front. These are the communist games. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, so there might be a little bit more than just saber rattling going on. You know what I mean? 
I would assume so. I mean, Putin just met with the uh, Chinese president, what, two days ago? Something like that? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, and that was right after Biden announced the troop mobilization. And that was um, the 82nd Airborne. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. That's out of Fort Bragg. They'll tell you in the, in the news, like, you know, X amount of soldiers just got deployed to Europe from Fort Bragg. But they didn't mention the fact that it was the 82nd Airborne. And I can tell you from a vet's perspective, you don't deploy the 82nd Airborne unless you are extremely serious about really? the conflict that's ahead. They are a uh, they're the last real airborne unit in the army because the 101st Airborne technically now is they're an airborne unit, but they practice air assault. So they're doing more of like a helicopter insertions. Um, dropping in vehicles from helicopters, dropping in howitzers, okay. things like that. But the 82nd Airborne, these are the guys jumping out of the C-130s, and you know they're strapped to the nines, ready to go. And they're they're an elite unit in terms of army units. And, um, they and, are fanatical. And on, they've the been 82nd deployed. Airborne. The 82nd, as far as I know, they probably still hold this title, but they're the most deployed unit in the entire army if not the entire military i want to say they may be the most deployed unit in the entire military wow yeah and i think they i heard the count was something like four thousand. wow yeah so So now do you know where they went uh supposedly they're staging in germany and uh that's pretty typical for any deployment into europe because Germany's the nearest, you know, station. Right. Um, other than that, just Italy. There is, I think, an airborne unit, the 173rd, uh, still in Italy, but I haven't heard any news of them moving. So so it could seriously... It could pop off, absolutely. If, oh. uh, you know, if Putin decides to cross that line, go right into Ukraine, the 82nd Airborne is there for support. And if we get involved... Who's to say China doesn't get involved? And then who's to say India doesn't get involved? And then World War Three, you know, starts, starts kicking off. Yep. So Here's yeah, what, all, all you guys under the age of 35 that, you know, you have like an older brother to carry on your name. You might want to seriously consider hitting the gym because your ass is probably getting drafted if that's the case. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, I'm under 30, or I'm under 35, I'm 33, so... you have anybody to carry on your family name besides your kids? Uh, my cousins. I have male cousins. If you don't have an older brother, I'm pretty sure you're going to be exempt, because you're the only male that can carry on your family line. Uh, you might still be eligible due to the fact that you had a son, though, because I think now, technically, he could carry on your family name, Yeah. so they may still consider you for a draft. The thing with me, though, is I don't know. I I'm sure I would get drafted, but it would probably be later down the line because I'm older. Like, they're going to take the young guys first. Yeah, generally speaking, that may be true. Um, I can't remember how they did in Vietnam, but I think it had something to do with the last four digits of your Social Security number. Oh, really? Yeah. I th- oh. I'm fairly certain that was how they did that. Because, it, I mean, if you think about it, what do they do? They take the U.S. Census. They're going to take your names, compile a giant list of military age males, which is males between the age of 18 and 35. Right. And they're, I mean, what are they doing? Throwing darts at a dartboard? Do they have right. some kind of computer lottery system? That I might mean, be. It, 
Yeah, I would expect that more than some kind of a system that could possibly be, you know, broken and cheated. Right. Because if they institute a draft, if you thought Vietnam draft dodgers are bad, just wait until they're oh God, you know, yeah. trying to dodge World War Three. My other thing, too, though, is I have underlying health issues, so I sure. don't know if I would pass, unless they were desperate for people. Hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know if I would pass for combat, yeah. but I think if I were to get drafted, more than likely, what would happen to me they would look at my skill set and they would put me in a machine shop fixing airplanes is what they would have with me because yeah. of my health problems. You be, you know, my lung collapsed three mm. times. I don't think they could put me in combat. You know? I don't think they would enlist you at all. Right. In that case, but, if you have breathing issues, you're generally going to be barred from enlistment. But even still, they could still draft me and, like I say, have me work in a machine shop fixing airplanes, couldn't they? I would doubt it only because you have to be combat ready at all times. I mean, oh, even if so you're if in you're, a motor pool somewhere right, and you get attacked, you get attacked. Yeah, you have to be ready to go. On the one hand, that hearing that is a slight relief, but on the other hand, <laughs> right. that kind of disappoints me because, like, I don't want to be a four F. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be like if I got called to serve, I would serve. Yeah, know? absolutely. I but on the you, other hand, I don't want to go to war. <laughs> well, you definitely don't want to go to war with uh, Russia and China, right? Um, the Chinese army, just the sheer numbers, uh, the technology. They both have functioning air forces. I think Russia, pound for pound, has more tanks than any country in the world. Oh, so if you were to fight them on the ground, um, you're going to be coming up against tank divisions on the regular. Right. Yeah. And there's that whole thing about, you know, don't invade Russia in the wintertime. Oh, hell no. <laughs> no. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Hitler made that mistake. Yeah, Hitler yeah. made that mistake. Napoleon made that mistake. Uh -huh. A couple other people have made that mistake. <laughs> well, I mean, I would hope our, you know, generals were competent enough not to make the same mistakes that Hitler did because he literally, when he took the German army in and decided to start the push, you know, they were doing very well. They were almost a Stalingrad and then winter hit. Yep. And the generals started like basically telling the high command, like, hey, we got to dig in for the winter. It's getting bad. Yep. Like fuel is freezing in the lines of our tanks. And Hitler was like, yeah, perfectly normal. Keep going. <laughs> They're like, we're literally eating horses that are dying and freezing on the way to Stalingrad. Right. Why is this a problem? Keep going. <laughs> yeah, keep going. He didn't even give them winter gear. They were in standard yep. German army fatigues. Yep. No winter boots, no hats, no gloves, nothing. Well, shit, though, they had those guys all jacked up on meth and shit. Oh, yeah. Like early forms of meth. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, but at the end of the day, the Russians just deployed a unit that was actually trained to fight in the winter. Yep. And they were properly equipped, and they pushed the Germans almost all the way back out of Russia. Yep. And that's when, you know, Berlin was starting to get bombed. And, yeah, they all just looked at Hitler and said, you are the, probably the most incompetent military leader of all time. Like, had, had it not been for him, arguably Germany could have finished the invasion in Russia. Yeah, if they would have, if they would have backed off and waited. Yeah. Or at least dug in and waited, they probably would have been fine. Yeah. But, yeah, when you're trying to push through you know, a Russian winter. Yeah. On, on roads that 
honestly, probably, t- I mean, I don't know. I've never been to Russia, but yeah. I would guess probably today are some of them are probably still dirt roads. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But in the 40s, most of them were dirt roads. Yeah, if, so you- <laughs> if you were even traveling on a road. Well, exactly. I mean, so much open landscape in Russia. A prime battlefield for a tank division. And the Germans had the Panzers. They had the most advanced tank technology there was in the 40s. And they probably, in the summertime, they would have rolled right over the Russians. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, with, you know, below, it was like negative 20 on average, I think, in the winter where they were at. So you you just can't function. Right. Uh, The cold will absolutely beat you down. Uh, Dan Carlin talks about all of that in... One of his specials called Ghosts of the Oz Front. Oh, yeah. Have you heard it? Yeah, bits and pieces. I talk talk about it a little bit in one of Todd's episodes because he's been on like three times now. (laughs) (laughs) I talk about it in one of those episodes a little bit. But yeah, dude, it's it's he, he talks about how like the area where the battles were fought they like mm. cordoned it off and yeah. you can't go there because there's still like unexploded ordnance and shit out there oh yeah, yeah. it's it, to, oh, that's so, to me that is so crazy yeah you know we used to find stuff like that in afghanistan honestly unexploded I mean, yeah. ordnance and stuff yeah we'd find them in training areas on fort polk i had a brand new private come to my unit we're walking around in a training area and this idiot picks up a hand grenade off the ground. I mean, you've been told a thousand times, if you see unexploded ordnance, just leave it alone. Right. But he picks it up and he's like, hey, check it out. I found a grenade. <laughs> I literally just looked at him. I'm like, yeah, do us all a favor and pull the pin, release the safety and just let it kill you. <laughs> it's like, are you for real, guy? Like, put that thing down. Oh, so what What did they do with it? I take it, would they get the bomb squad and everything? Yeah, they'll give it to an EOD on post, like okay. some kind of an EOD detachment, and they'll probably blow it up, you know, <laughs> have fun with it. Because they, they're trained to handle these right. explosives. They're not afraid of them at all. Some guy's going to put on the giant, you know, space suit. Yeah, the thing could probably go off in his hand wearing that thing. Right. Be fine. They so. should just put that guy on the eod team because clearly he's not afraid of shit no yeah just i had i walked by it i probably would have said hey cool a hand grenade but i ain't gonna pick the thing up right (laughs) i'm not picking up a hand grenade yeah i like having 10 fingers and two hands so do those things have a tendency to i mean obviously the pin has to be pulled right but do they have a tendency to just go off like that, like in a situation like that? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, it, it was probably pretty safe to pick up, given yeah. that the pin was still in it, the safety was still on. Okay. The thing about the frag grenades that we carried were the fuses were really unpredictable. Like, it's supposed to have like a five to an eight second fuse. So if you really think about that, you got a three second window. So it's right. it's not like Call of Duty where you're holding this thing and you're cooking a grenade. Like you, you could try, but it's, it's gonna blow you up. <laughs> it's a gamble for sure because you have no idea when that thing's gonna go off. In reality, as soon as the safety comes off, you should be releasing that grenade. I would throw it personally. I'd pull the pin, hold on to the safety, and throw it all in one piece and just let the safety fly off in midair because that way I didn't have to hold on to it when the fuse was actually engaged and ready to right. blow. Yeah, smarter way to do it. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, see, when you don't know things, like, I mean, I don't know shit about grenades. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So when you don't know that, yeah, the odds of blowing yourself the fuck up are pretty, like, 
me. He probably got a good one in 10 chance <laughs> um, at the end of the day. <laughs> I carried one on my kit when I was deployed um, for a couple different purposes. Number one, if I was going to get captured by those assholes, I was just going to pull the pin. Right. right? Like, right. I'm, I'm not getting my head chopped off on the TV. <laughs> right. I'm just going to pull the pin. We'll all go out together. Yeah, take we'll, as many of them to hell as, as you can. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see whose religion was right. Yeah. <laughs> But oh, other than amazing. that, I mean, if, yeah, if you got in a tick and you were pinned down, a hand grenade's a good way to get the enemy to put their heads down. If not, you know, at least cause a couple casualties. Right, right. Um, M67 frag, you probably got yeah, about 10, 15, 10, 15 meters uh, where it's going to spread trap. Right. So if you hit them in the right spot, you're going to oh. disable them. Dude, that sounds like such a horrible way to go. A hand grenade? Yeah, yeah, that would suck. Dude, oh god, that sounds so terrible. Yeah, hand grenades and uh, claymores. I would not want to get hit with a claymore. Have you ever seen the guts of one? No. So a uh, claymore is, uh, like, you've probably seen them in a movie. It's like the kind of shape-charged, got two little sets of legs, and is it, it is says front like, toward enemy, you know? Like the Bouncing Betty landmine? Yeah, similar. Okay. Um, okay. But basically on the inside, there's ball bearings, and there's an explosive charge behind. Oh. So you'll angle these things upwards to hit center mass, and when somebody goes by, you hit the switch, and it explodes, and you're basically getting hit by, like, 30 to 40 ball bearings in whatever direction they decided to point that thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. you're. They taught us to point them upward in order to cause, you know, actual death right. because it's going to hit somebody's center mass. Chances are you're going to hit a long, you'll oh, hit yeah. heart. you're going to blow their whole center cavity out. Yeah. But Joe Schmo on the street, if he got a hold of one, he's probably going to put that thing just facing, you know, parallel to the ground. It'd probably take both your feet off. Oh yeah, my chop God. You off at the knees. Yeah. <gasps> Be a real shitty way to go. Dude, that sounds horrible. Yeah. Not, uh, <laughs> not something you want to experience. Oh my god. Yeah, that's it's part of war. You're uh, hopefully, you know, we don't see too much with the Ukraine. Uh, the only good that I think could come of it is if, you know, large-scale war were to kick off, I guess we could kind of put China back in their place. Yeah. Well, see here's what I wonder. If if Putin decides all right, all bets are off. We're going into Ukraine. Right. How do I explain this? China could almost take that as like, a, okay, this is our chance to go into Taiwan. Mm, you know yeah, what I mean? Very like, fair point. Make them take us on on two fronts for starters. Yeah. And say, okay, say Putin goes into the Ukraine first. Right. You know what I mean? And China, say they wait like two days, mm. which in my opinion, I don't know that I'm not a tactician. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know that much about tactics, but in my opinion, it would almost be kind of smart to wait like a day or two. Oh, absolutely. So the yeah. whole entire world is distracted with Ukraine. Yep. And then two days later, bam, China nails Taiwan. Yeah, that's you know a very fair I mean? point. Yeah. We would be caught so hardcore off guard you know what i mean i mean yeah. i bet you the intelligence community probably has contingencies for a situation like that mm -hmm. but at the same time 
how, I mean, are they expecting them to do that? Maybe they're expecting them to do that. And I'm just not as smart as I think I am. They may be, but I mean, at the end of the day, too, you have to consider if it's going to be full scale war, it's going to be all of NATO versus Russia and China. It's not just going to be the United States. So true. I would say it would be more likely that if China invaded Taiwan, we would probably get involved on that front with the Navy. So you could take the Navy in circle to the island with destroyers, aircraft carriers, Marines, you know, ready to go on these boats. And we could probably fend off the Chinese in that scenario. And then on the Russian front, we would probably use assets like uh, the UK, Australia, Czechoslovakia, the Jordanians, uh, Germany, depending on which way they decided to fly. Um, I couldn't see Germany siding with Russia and China. But uh, I think we would everybody says, oh, we'd be so outnumbered and their their militaries are so massive. It's like, yeah, but you're not considering all the allies that we have that are obligated per NATO to come to our aid. So uh, because I worked with, you know, Australian, Czechoslovakians, a couple of British guys on the cop, um, Jordanians everywhere. The Jordanians actually have a pretty big force. And I think Australia had a pretty good sized force, too, for being as small a country as they are. But uh, Israel, too, you know, that's yeah, that's the wild card. You could send in Israeli special forces anywhere you want, right. take out any strategic target. I mean, these guys are elite, elite special forces groups. The Israelis are somebody to fear big time. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're trained in hand to hand combat, probably more efficiently than any other special forces group out there they use right? they use krav maga it's a martial art that's basically designed to take on multiple opponents at the same time with weapons they're trained to disarm and kill you basically with your own weapon <laughs> yeah <laughs> look up a, a krav maga video you'll laugh pretty hard uh most of the close quarter striking involves shots to the groin Okay. There's one that a friend of mine showed me, and literally every technique ended with the Israeli in his funny accent going, and then you kick him into nuts. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's pretty brutal. Like, it's hands down one of the deadliest martial arts you're going to find. How? Oh, okay, one second. YouTube's loading. Yeah, I think it's uh, K-R-A-V-M-A-G-A. And, like, Krav... Maga. Maga. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Krav Maga fight. Oh, shit. Usually what they do to train, they have like these foam knives and they'll put red paint at the end of it. And as they're fighting, they'll fight each other and try to, you know, inflict stab wounds with their foam knives. So you got the paint like wherever he stabbed you. It's kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this top one, obviously you, you can't see it because you're listening, but... Yeah, the top video. If you type in Krav Maga fight on YouTube, the top video, Krav Maga training end a fight in three seconds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's designed for maximum like efficiency and quickness and casualties. There's no like setup shots. It's just straight for the throat type of martial art. Fucking ads. Yeah. <laughs> just talking about that YouTube and the ads. Okay, so he's speaking Israeli. Yeah, he's going to shove to create space there. 
he's probably explaining, like, when he gets this close, you're going to want to create space. You don't want your opponent right up on top of you. Okay. Because there's, uh, there's some pretty lengthy strikes in Krav Maga that are going to involve a lot of extension of your arms. So you want to keep this distance is what he's saying. Basically, if he's within arm's reach, he's going to create separation, which is the core of any strike in martial art, really. Okay. Yeah, he's he's showing techniques on how to create space. Okay. This is, um, it, it, to describe Krav Maga, it's like a mix of judo and a little bit of Muay Thai. Um, at the end of the day, it's basically designed for knife fighting is a huge component. Oh. So, yeah, the Israeli special forces, they're carrying like 12-inch K-bar knives. And if you're going to get on top of one of these guys, they're going to stab you about six times. <laughs> like, they they don't play. They're going to come at you like Chucky, you know, from Child's Play. Right. And just brutally stab you to death. Now, you, you say Israeli Special Forces. That's not the same as the IDF, right? Uh, no. This is the Israeli Defense Force or whatever? No, yeah, two separate entities. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's almost like, um, think about it like the Army Rangers and okay, Army Special okay. Forces. They're, they're both Special Forces groups, but they're trained in different aspects of combat. Okay, okay. The crazy thing about Israel is, like, everybody has to join the military no matter what. Yeah, two years you know mandatory I mean? yeah, service. Yeah, it's mandatory. Yep. I've said that would be a good thing for the United States for years, yeah. honestly. I know it sounds kind of, you know, tyrannical, whatever you want to call it, not real free in terms of, you know, being the United States, we're supposed to be all about freedom and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of people in today's society just lack discipline. Right. And uh, I can tell you basic training will beat that right out of you. <laughs> two, two years active duty service, if you see a deployment, you're definitely going to come back a lot more disciplined than right. you were before. Right. Because you have to think about the decisions you make, you know, like in today's society, you can screw up and it, it's almost looked at, you know, favorably. You see all these memes and quotes and, you know, oh, I fell, but I'm getting back up. And you you got to experience the dark to see the light. All these yeah. freaking cliche yeah. nonsense statements. It's like, you know, if you would have took 10 seconds to think about what you were doing before you did it, you wouldn't be posting these memes that you don't follow on Facebook. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And the thing with those memes, too, is it's always the, like. Ooh. I have to be careful here. <laughs> this is a, this is a careful talk. The people that seem to post that shit the most mm. are the ones, like you said, that don't pay attention to that advice at all. No, you yeah, know exactly. what I mean. Like, it's just a show. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, oh, jeez, don't get me started on those damn things. Yeah. But yeah, it's. I think you're right. I think it's a discipline thing, and it's also a sense of responsibility. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because you're going to be responsible for not only yourself, but the people around you, right, especially right. in terms of safety. Like just just doing basic weapons training. One of the first things they're going to teach you is not to flag somebody. Right. Like you're not going to point that barrel at anything but the ground. And if you do, especially in a training scenario, I wouldn't put it past a drill sergeant to put you on the ground and put his foot on the back of your head and scream at you for an hour about what an idiot you are. So and you know what? Some people might call that hazing. 
Yeah, that's but what they call it now, apparently. As far as I'm concerned, if you're dumb enough to point a gun at somebody, mm. you deserve to have a drill sergeant stand on you and scream at you. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know can kill I mean? somebody yeah, very easily. you can easily. fucking kill somebody. This shit's not a joke, dude. Yeah. No, I've, I had a situation um, while we were overseas. I won't name his name, but we had a guy on the cop with us that wasn't uh, the picture-perfect soldier, to say the least. Uh, he thought it would be funny to come into our little dining area that we set up with his M4 with no magazine. And I mean, unloaded, but he came in like he was clearing the room. And I mean, he's Are pointing at every me? single one of us. And he wound up getting kicked off of the cop for that incident and wound up back in a fob, uh, basically pulling on off tower guard shifts for the rest of his deployment. Oh. Yeah. I mean, we all, uh, everybody in the room was about ready to knock the guy out. Yeah, dude, you don't do that, especially in a combat veteran situation. No, hell you no. You don't fuck, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? I have my he, weapon right at my side. He's I mean, lucky if, if, somebody didn't draw on and then pull yeah, the trigger. I considered it for a second because he was uh, a little bit on the mentally unstable side. Yeah. And when he came in like that, I wouldn't have put it past him to shoot us all up. Right. Well, and... What are you supposed to think, dude? Yep. You're already on edge because you're in an inactive war zone. Yeah, and absolutely. somebody presents himself as a threat. Yep. You know what I mean? Of course. I'm I'm honestly surprised you didn't tell me somebody shot him. Yeah. You know, no. I mean? just just for that alone. Like I think we had the mindset that he wasn't he wasn't gonna do anything. He he was a lot of talk, but yeah, oh. definitely in a stressful environment, not something that was yeah, that's you know, not okay funny. With us. That's not yeah. funny at all. I mean, oh, we played funny jokes on each right. other. We were overseas constantly. I mean, <laughs> you got to kill funny. the time. But yeah, coming in with a weapon and pointing at somebody, there's nothing funny about Especially that. Especially like you're acting like you're going to clear the room, like you said. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, flagging every single one of us one at a time. Yeah, that's not yeah. good, man. Bang, 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 bang. As he walks in, I was just thinking, dude, all I need is one bang. <laughs> and you're just going to be standing there like the idiot you are. And when I decide to tell the higher command that I had to shoot you because you came into the room and I just so happened to put a magazine back in your rifle to make it look legit because you're <laughs> you're kind of that guy that nobody wanted around anyway. So oh. I would have been doing everybody a big favor. But What a moron. Yeah, not a real smart guy. And that, that, that begs the question too. I saw a, uh, a video talking about this Ukraine situation. Uh, it was comparing the American military to the Russians. And they had a series of TikTok videos of female soldiers doing like organized big group dances and stuff. Of American soldiers? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. These, I mean, like fresh recruits in basic, probably. But they're allowed cell phones now for whatever reason at basic <laughs> training. So they're over here making TikToks. And then they go to the Russians who are literally in body armor with live weapons you know, training to kill somebody mm -hmm. like we had, we had this discussion at basic training and it was, it was pretty damn funny. Uh, drill Sergeant powers was his name. Uh, real funny guy, but we had, uh, they called it a uniform drill where basically we got down to formation in our regular uniforms and a drill sergeant threw us for a loop. And he said, Hey, you guys are in the wrong uniform. You have five minutes to get into PTs. Go. So we all sprint up, try to change a uniform fast enough. We get back downstairs and he's like, yeah, I don't like the way you guys look anymore. Put your other uniform back on. You have four and a half minutes <laughs> and they just play this game with you. So at a certain point after like an hour of this, apparently a bunch of guys had to take a piss at the same time. So they only we only had like three stalls, two urinals. 
So what do these idiots do? They go into the shower and start pissing with each other in the drain. So a drill like sergeant is sword fight. Yeah, drill a, a drill figures this out, and we get back down there. The uniform gay ends, and he's like, "All right, all the females leave the formation." So they take the females back in the barracks, and they got us guys out there. And he's like, "You know, right now the Chinese are doing maintenance on their tanks. Right now the Russians." are practicing marksmanship and we're sitting here talking about why it's not okay to pee on the floor in the fucking shower room are you guys out of your minds like it but it, it kind of hit me like at the end of the day you know yeah. the american military it's not as disciplined as what you would think it would be you know you got a lot of guys screwing off you got a lot of guys not taking the training seriously enough and it if you were to do that in any other military, you'd be getting your ass kicked. Mm -hmm. But you can't do that in the American military anymore because it's got to be inclusive and it's got to be fair and it's got to be all, you know, PC. So it, it really begs the question, if we do go to war, how many soldiers are truly ready for it? Ah, that is a terrifying thought. Isn't man. it though? Yeah. And because I can tell you from point, experience, it's it's probably to the point where I would say our operational readiness is not what it should be. Oh, God. Yeah. You, you'd have a bunch of guys out there that, you know, they were so used to being in black, you know, like half-ass units, basically, that didn't train, that didn't do PT, that don't go out to the range to shoot their weapons. They're they're far inferior to other militaries at this point, in my opinion. Oh, boy. Yeah, especially the Chinese and the Russians. I mean, those guys are fanatical. Oh, yeah, they they're do. crazy. Yeah. Oh, oof. <clears throat> that is that is unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good thought to think about. Oh, man. I mean, luckily for us, I think at the end of the day, it's not going to involve like some invasion of the United States. And it, even if they were to try they'd fail miserably. You yeah. think so? Oh, absolutely. You, There's no way to invade the United States. You'd have to do it from the air or nuke the shit out of us. One of one of the two. You do not want to fight in the ground. Uh, think about the different terrains alone. Uh, yeah, I'm speaking from, you know, personal experience of fighting an enemy on their turf. It was not fun. They knew the terrain and we didn't. They're used to walking around in mountains. We weren't. That's true. So, you know, you get these group of guys from, say, let's say you try to invade from Canada. So are you going to land on the west or the east of the Rockies? And then if you do, how the hell are you going to pass it? You're going to try to lift helicopters with, you know, anti-air batteries at every military post in the United States. You're going to get shot out of the sky. And if you try to pass it on the ground, you're going to have not only the American military, but you're going to have the armed civilians that know their own terrain that are going to protect mm. their own properties and start picking your soldiers off in guerrilla warfare tactics. Mm. I'm not saying they're going to be great at it, <laughs> but they're going to cause enough casualties to make the enemy think, you know, we right. should probably find a different way around this damn mountain. Right. And then if you're going to go for D.C. and you invaded from that direction, how do you get across the Mississippi? Tactically, I think in that regard, the best way to do it would be you would have to ally with two or three other countries. Sure. And you'd have to all hit us at the same time from different directions. Yeah, an encircling movement would be a good idea. That would be the only way to do it. Yeah. Um, it's still going to be tough at the end of the day because every state in the Union has a military post, if not two or three. That and like you said, the armed citizens. But yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, there's more guns per capita than people in the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, Think um, about how many bullets are in this country. Oh, yeah. Trillions. Oh, good God. Yeah. <laughs> we're probably the largest manufacturer of ammunition in the entire world. Mm-hmm. So... I I don't think an invasion into the United States would be a good idea in any you know form or facet. Yeah, I it, you'd have to have a lot of men on the ground. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or uh, or they would have to go through and do it extremely methodically. Yeah, slow slow but sure. Right, slow and steady. But because I think there's now don't quote me on this but i think there's a statistic out there that says that like in a situation like that or like in a revolution mm. typically only like i think it's 10 percent of the population actually gets physically involved yeah i'd say that you know what accurate. i mean yeah. so there's 330 million people in the country what's 10 percent of that about 300 000? i'm horrible at math i think it's 300 thousand is that going to be enough? Mm, that's a pretty good amount of people, um, you know, spread out in different areas. It's not as daunting as you would think. But at the same time, I think that number might go up. Like yeah. they, That statistic sounds, you know, pretty accurate. But at the end of the day, if you had Russian troops in your county, like, right. are, are you just gonna hide and wait until they come in your house and blow nope. the shit out of you no sure not you have to go out <laughs> you can't stay in a structure because it's gonna get bombed yep so you better find a way to get out into you know a wooded area somewhere that offers a lot of cover some kind of a you know a fighting position that you can defend in yep. a small group because they're they're probably going to send a battalion sized element into, into a county so you're talking 100 200 guys so if you could get 50 guys that knew their own landscape, yeah. you could probably take that on. Dude. All right. I'm, I'm about to take a serious dive into fantasy land here for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> In that hypothetical scenario, mm. if I knew that it was like more than likely the town is going to get overrun yeah. and most of us are going to die mm. type of thing. Put me up in a clock tower with my hot <laughs> six and let me go out in a blaze of glory like the sniper from Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad way to go, honestly. If that scenario ever happens, you will find me in the nearest bell tower if you are looking. <laughs> Long range would probably be a lot better off because um, you're not going to have a fully automatic weapon. That's probably the biggest downside. Right. My to the civilian arms. is a bolt. Yeah, it's yeah. a bolt gun. But so still. if you could pick them off from a distance, you right. might even get them to just run. Like if right. they can't identify your location right off the bat and they're reacting to sniper fire in a proper way. They're not going to return fire until they know exactly where you are. Right, and then they're going to hit me with a Panzer tank. That's (laughs) what I'm talking about. Just let me go out in a blaze of glory. Or or take me out. Have you seen the Magnificent Seven? No, I can't say I have. All right, I I don't want to spoil too much. It's a cowboy movie. Okay. And they're defending a town from, like, a robber baron. Yeah. Well, at the end of the movie, like, the two, like, best shots in Mm. the gang are up in this clock, or they're in a church tower. Okay. With, uh, with, um, you know, lever guns. I I think they're 30-30s or something like that. Yeah, 30-30, yeah. They're up in a, in a church tower, and one of one of them's Ethan Hawke, okay? <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, when he dies, he gets hit like 10 fucking times because they bring out a, a 
Like a minigun? Yeah. Damn. They bring out, a, like, a Gatling gun minigun type oh, okay. of thing, but, like, an old Western-style one, you yeah. know? Yeah, oh, yeah. They bring one of those out, and they just light the fucking bell tower off, right? Yeah. So that's, when, when that's Ethan, about what would happen to you. Right. When Ethan Hawke dies, he gets hit, like, ten times, yeah. and he falls out of the tower, and he rolls down the roof of the church and hits the dirt. Oh, so I, I, in a situation like that, I either want to go out like the sniper in the Patriot or Ethan Hawke in Magnificent Seven. Yeah. If I'm going to die, I want to go out gloriously. Oh, I don't believe <laughs> You know it. what I yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll see Valhalla in that case. Right, right. Thor will look down on you with pride. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I said, fantasy land for sure. But yeah, but yeah that's, that's how I want to go out. On that front though, and I don't mean to sound cynical, but I do question sometimes, a lot of the times, I find myself questioning my fellow Americans' willingness to actually... Yeah, to grow a pair. Right. Yeah. I don't even so much want to put it in that regard. I just think there's a lot of delusional guys out there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like your overweight deer hunter that drinks 30 beers in a weekend. And yeah. I'm going to fight the Russians. No, you're not, <laughs> no, dude. No, you ain't. <laughs> you're not. Yeah. I hope you like standing still and getting shot. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, you better be able to move. I mean, as as a guy that knows military movement and tactics, you're not going to want to sit in one place for more than maybe 10 right. seconds. You're, you're going to try to establish fire superiority and maneuver on a group of enemies and eliminate them. Right. You're not going to just sit there. And hope you can pick them off one by one because a Russian unit will maneuver on you. Yeah, absolutely. Like, before you know it, the six guys that you were shooting at that were at your 12 o'clock are going to split into two groups. And all of a sudden you're going to have them at 12 and nine. <laughs> and then you're looking around like, uh, crap. Yep. And the group at nine is pushing through your position as the group at 12 is now advancing on you. Yeah, I mean, that's scary shit. Yeah, dude. So you're not going to react properly. You'll probably spray and pray. Might or hit freeze. one guy. Or but, freeze. Oh, yeah. A lot of guys are just lock up. And that's my biggest concern with myself because I have no combat. And that's why I don't talk tough either. Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to go out and fight. The I mean, I'll try. Yeah, I'll, sure. I'll do my best. But my, my biggest concern with me in that situation is that because I have no training at all, mm. I know how to use a gun. But knowing how to use a gun and knowing how to fight in a firefight are two completely different things. Yeah, and just the experience of right. it. Right. I mean, they do stuff at basic training to get that fear out of you right off the get. Yeah. Uh, you're talking, I think, week seven or eight, we did the second field training exercise where we did a big confidence course. It was the middle of the night, you know, co field covered in mud, obstacles you got to get through, low crawling under constant heat wire. And they're the whole time they're shooting two forties above your head. Oh, tracer rounds. <laughs> so, I mean, you see these tracers flying above you and you hear gunfire. They're simulating the fact that you are being shot at. And it, it's designed to get that, that fear out of you to be able to say, okay, there's gunfire around me, but I'm still, you know, a soldier. I can still move. Right. Cause a lot of people hear gunfire and just look toward it. Uh, what are you going to do? Deer in the headlight it. That's so you're going to get lit up. And that, again, that's where I come, like like you say, like a lot of people hear a shot and they look towards it. Yep. I base all of what I say about this topic on my own experience as a deer hunter, okay? Yeah, right. If I'm sitting out in the woods, 
and I hear a shot go off, mm-hmm. I look off in that direction. Oh, of course. I yeah. Two years ago, after we moved into the house, I had a bullet fly past me, and oh. it scared the living shit out of me. Did you hear the snap? I heard, okay, luckily the way the terrain is, yeah. I think the bullet hit the dirt behind me. Okay. Because the way it was is... I'm pretty sure the guy that shot was across the field. Yeah, gotcha. You know what I mean? And people out here, even though you're not supposed to, they mm. hunt with rifles. Yeah, okay. And you can tell, and I know it was a rifle because you can tell the difference in the crack of a rifle yep. versus the boom of a shotgun. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? That's good that you can even distinguish that. A right. lot of people wouldn't be able to. So I heard the shot go off and I think he was facing me and I didn't know he was there. Yeah. Because I'm the he's on the other side of the field and the field kind of gradually goes uphill until it gets to the property line. Yeah. And the property line is that big deep ditch. Okay. Well, when it comes up on my side of the ditch, Mm. the ground is like five feet lower Oh, than sure. it is in the field. Yeah, so you're in elevated position. And then I and then where I was sitting was just off of that, like down in a little hollow. Gotcha. So I don't know quite for sure if the bullet hit the dirt behind me or if it flew past me. But mm-hmm. I heard the crack of the, the rifle. Yep. And then I heard <laughs> So if you heard a noise like that, that round likely hit something as it was coming past you because that noise that you just made is a tumbling bullet. So, yeah, the bullet was likely tumbling in the air. If it's flying straight, you're going to hear what sounds like something flying straight past you. Just. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I heard the tumble. A tumbling bullet going. That's going to hurt like fuck when it hits you. Oh, yeah. It's going to (laughs) suck. Yeah. You ain't going to get hit by the nice pointy edge. You're going to probably hit on the blunt side. That scared the living shit out of me, dude. Yeah, just imagine the actual concentrated fire from automatic weapons coming right. past you. Right. So like that's you, what you I'm saying. You thought that like, one bullet scared you? Right. Wait until you got about 40 of them flying from your heads because Russians use AKs. Yeah. So, yeah, you're talking uh, full automatic suppressive fire. You will not want to pick your head up in that case. Right. And that, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I don't know what I would do in that situation because, again, I had one bullet fly by me and it scared the shit out of me. Right. You know what I mean? Not, and then, like you say, now what am I going to do when, like, 8,000 bullets are flying <laughs> yeah. by me? You know what I mean? Like, fuck that, dude. Yep. Fuck that. That'd probably be your initial thought. Fuck this. <laughs> fuck you would, this. You'd probably just say, fuck this and try to hide from it. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, until you start, you know, hearing periods of time where the bullets aren't flying, you're probably not going to want to pick your head up. But any good trained military unit will talk their weapons. Uh, we were trained like the guy to my right. If he was firing, say, full auto and I had full auto, he would be firing like a 10 second, you know, iteration of fire. And as as he was firing, I would pick it up 10 seconds later. So that way he is on a reload as I am still actively shooting. OK, so you might get like a little half second lull between the two, depending on the timing and the weapons. But if you have identical weapons, you can theoretically you can keep concentrated fire at a group of enemies at the same time infinitely and make it sound like it never stopped exactly wow yeah. <laughs> wow 
Yeah, it'd probably be beneficial if you had, like, a buddy at your side in this scenario. We call the battle buddies at basic training. You always okay. want a battle buddy. Because the second you find yourself alone, you're oh. screwed. Yeah, that's another one of my big great fears is, like, finding myself alone in the middle of a battle. Yeah, that's not a good day. Yeah, that's not a no. good day, man. Yeah, you're going to wind up getting picked off one way or another. <laughs> They're going to advance on you. Uh, one guy against, call it, even a fault, like, even, like, a five-man fire team is going to take you out alone, no problem. Unless you're, you know, Clint Eastwood. Right, And you're right. picking these dudes off with one round each shot. Which, good luck under those, you know, conditions. Right. It's it's hard enough to be accurate when you're just shooting at a range, shooting at targets. Imagine trying to be accurate while you're getting shot at. Like, that's, it's that, a whole different skill set. Yeah, without any training, dude, without any training, you if do. you're in a situation like that, like you said, you're either going to spray and pray yeah. or you're going to freeze. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, most people would be fairly useless in that scenario. Yeah, what do you think? This is a little off the wall, but what do you what do you think would be worse, uh, a firefight mm. or like a Game of Thrones style melee where everybody's oh, just God. coming at each other with sharpened blades? Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely don't want to get hacked up by a sword or stab. Right. I'd rather be shot in the chest than stabbed in the chest. Like, which um, do you think would be more terrifying? Uh, in terms of sheer numbers, if it were force on force melee. And you're talking, you know, 500 against 500. I think that would be absolutely terrifying. Oh, my like God. A, a, could you imagine, like, in a scenario where, let's call it, like, maybe even in the Dark Ages where you had, like, mounted cavalry? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So not only do you have, like, guys screaming, you know, coming at you, waving spears and blades and axes, <laughs> but all of a sudden you got some guy on horseback charging at you doing the same thing. With it's like, oh, pike. crap. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the hell am I going to do about this? Well, guess, guess I'm going to have to try to take him off his horse or stab the horse, unfortunately. I mean, but yeah, that uh, that's not something I don't I don't think I'd want to be involved in. Man, that no. was those. Those dudes were like real like dudes, you oh, know, yeah. like yep. how do you just face down somebody swinging a fucking sword at you? Yeah, that's that's I definitely a, a pretty you know, balls you do. <laughs> I think I'd rather be shot. Oh, yeah, because absolutely. Because getting shot is going to hurt, like, probably it nothing else in the world. Yeah. But at the same time, imagine having a sword, like, cut into your rib cage, but <sighs> it doesn't kill you right away. Yeah, no. So you feel it go in, and then you feel it come out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, That's not oh, a good Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Getting hit with an arrow, We're not about that life either. Yeah, I tell I you what, though, if somebody ever breaks into my house, I think that's the weapon I'm going for. Is a <laughs> Go arrow, <laughs> point blank, put the arrow clear through. How yeah. terrifying would that be? I'd I mean, probably just walk in the other direction. You're gonna draw a right, bow on me, right? <laughs> and I, I'm just, I, I just want some money, man. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not here for your life. Just give me your cash. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna catch an arrow to the neck, or you know. I honestly, I mean, not that I would ever break into anybody's house, but I honestly think I would be more scared. If some crazy motherfucker came around the corner with a compound bow, yeah, right as Robin opposed Hood to a ass. shotgun, yeah, you know no, I mean? I'd be like, "What is this guy? <laughs> this like, guy's straight crazy." Yeah, absolutely. That's that deer hunter you were talking about. Yep. <laughs> Keeps his bow at his bedside. He's got like racks of arrows next to him. <laughs> oh man, yeah, well, this think, is quite the dark conversation. Yeah. 
Yeah, getting hit point blank by a bow would probably send you back a couple of feet oh. when it hits you. I mean, a bullet will do the same thing. Uh, but, I mean, at the end of the day, I definitely don't want to feel an arrow penetrate yeah, go dude. through me and right. kill me. Like a bullet, at least, it's... It, it's almost like with a bow and arrow, I think you can almost see it coming, you know, <laughs> like it's, it would almost play out in slow motion. Like here it comes. I'm about to get hit by an arrow. That, like you yeah. don't see that with a bullet. The bullet comes out of the gun and it flies so fast. It just hits you <laughs> yeah. like you're not Neo from the Matrix. But if some guy at 30 yards comes at me with a bow, I'm going to see that arrow fly before it hits. <laughs> yes, me. you will. That's, that's going to be pretty bad. <laughs> you just got a knife shot at you. Yeah. You know what yep. I mean? Like, holy shit. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> So, yeah, don't break into my house because that's what I'm coming at you with. <laughs> <laughs> that's a scary thought, too, man. Somebody breaking into the house, even though from from everything I understand, it's actually one of the least likely things to happen to you. Oh, is yeah. somebody breaking in the house when you're home. Right, yeah. You know Most people I mean. see cars in the driveway. They're looking for easier targets. Right. So if they know you're at home, they're likely not going to come in. And if they do, they probably have bad intentions for you, not right. your property. Right. Yeah. So, but even still, just the idea of like, you know, being at home in your boxer shorts, sleeping <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden you wake up and your TV's moving around and you know what I mean? Like that's a horrifying thought. Yeah. I probably you know? at the end of the day, I mean, it's property. You know, I've always seen the, uh, the Facebook meme, like, you, you know, somebody broke into your house, steal your TV and you shot them. So their, your stuff was more important than your life. And it's like, well, yeah, it, it, it kind of is. I'm sorry. The guy's useless. He's a thief. Yeah. So yeah, yep. my, my guitar, my computer is way more important than that you know, low life's life. I agree. So at the same time though, I mean, if it, if it was a situation where like they were holding me at gunpoint, yeah, I just like, dude, take the TV and get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know what I mean, I just take it. It doesn't matter that much. Yeah. But again, like if I got the chance to come on you, come at you with a bow, I'm coming at you with a bow <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Go, go raid the target with the rest of the low lives. Go out to California and yeah, steal out of the go. trains like everybody else. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Oh, it's, it's just breaking down out West. The whole society out there has collapsed, basically. I saw some of the pictures of the the trains that got raided. Yeah. And it's like, what the hell is this? Is this the Old West all over again? Like, yeah. are we back to robbing trains and, and shit like that? Are we really back to that? I mean, they loot with impunity at this point. They're, they're not charging petty crimes in California at all. The DAs are not going to prosecute. They've literally at this point, the state government will tell you that thievery is not really a crime. Wow. I mean, that's that's the way it seems. There's businesses all over California that are shutting their doors yep. because they can't keep up with theft. Like at the end of the day, the profit margins aren't there anymore because they're more worried about losses than they are profits. So, uh, I mean, at a certain point as a business owner, of course, you're just going to shut the doors. Right. I mean, it, it's sad that it's gotten to that point. I mean, this this whole defund the police movement kind of died out. But I think it, it gave you an idea of just how lawless some people would prefer the society to be. I agree. I agree with that 100 percent. Yeah. They're not going to figure it out. Until there's no more tax revenue in that state. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's and probably fair. 
they already are like, well, why is everybody leaving? Like Tesla left. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Facebook. I don't know if you've heard this or not. And I, mm. I read it in an article a couple of weeks ago, but I guess Facebook just signed like one of the biggest uh, real estate deals in like national history hmm. in in Austin, Texas. That doesn't. It's either me. Austin or Houston, yeah. one of the two. That's still the most liberal uh, liberal place you're going to find in Texas right. is Austin and Houston. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and their, funny. their tax law on businesses is a lot more uh, you know favorable than California. That's right. why they're all leaving. What uh, what's the corporate tax rate at there? Like almost 40 percent, some nonsense at the end of the day. Right. They're overregulated. They're, you know, micromanaged down to the T, and then you're going to tax them to death on top of that. Yep. The only companies that could survive there were companies like Tesla and Facebook, multi-billion dollar companies. Right. Like, uh, just think about, you know, Joe Blow trying to, like, open up a barber shop or something in California. Mm-hmm. He ain't going to make it. Nope, he ain't going to uh, There's it. no way. Especially with all the regular, because isn't California still like knee deep in COVID regulations too? Oh, yeah. You still got a mask and you got to be hundred times vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's another topic. (laughs) Yeah. The pandemic. Have you seen the shift in opinions now? Oh, yeah. The Biden administration that we just have to live with it now. Yep. He's, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place because a lot of countries have actually lifted their restrictions. Yep. The UK just lifted the last of their restrictions the other day. Mm-hmm. So at this point, the United States has to shift positions. But he said when he was on the campaign trail, I'm going to shut down the virus. I, I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm not going to shut down the schools. I'm going to shut down the virus. And he couldn't do it. Yeah, how'd that work out for you, Joe? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's impossible. It, I, I think the guy's as incompetent as, you know, most people at this point. I think the latest polls showed like 72% of people saying that he was completely incompetent. Yep. So, I, but at the end of the day, it was a, an impossible task. You can't shut down a virus. No. We haven't done it since, what, polio? The smallpox? We've only managed to eradicate one virus off the face of the planet, and yep. I think it was polio. It was either polio or smallpox, yeah. one of the two. Yep. I'm so fucking sick of hearing about polio, though. Yeah. Every boomer you talk to, oh, well, when I was a kid, <laughs> right. you had to get the polio vaccine. Well, good for fucking you, Yeah. okay? Maybe you should have stopped and thought, hey, you know what? I'll take my chances. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but fuck you. I'm tired of hearing about it. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, you have to just let people exercise, you know, risk management and mitigation. Right. Like, it, it's my personal choice not to get a vaccine because the risk of me dying from COVID is not as great as the risk of having from side effect from a, you know, experimental vaccine that right. just came out a year ago. So, it, it, as the American public, like the these vaccine mandates, it was really interesting to see it hit the Supreme Court and... You know, they shut down the OSHA regulation, but not the healthcare via the healthcare mandate. So OSHA, the mandate failed. Yeah, it failed the Supreme Court. I think was six to two, six five, to three, six to three. Yeah, nine Supreme Court justices. Um, and then there was a separate mandate for what they call CMS. It's basically the health department. That and, one was five to four. Yeah, and it flew. Yeah, I I couldn't believe it. Like, uh, uh, what you difference does it make where I work? Yeah, I had heard about that. That was extremely disappointing. Yep. I, with all the Republicans went through to get that guy his seat. Yep. 
and uh, he's gonna you with know, all, all of a that guy went through to get his seat yeah absolutely you know what i mean and yeah. then you side with the people who drug you through the mud yeah what the he's, fuck is wrong with you he's become extremely disappointing in yep. a very quick fashion i was worried about him and i was worried about coney barrett too and uh, yeah she was the other one that sided with him, wasn't it? No, it was John Roberts oh, that sided, yeah. sided with the Democrats. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I work in healthcare. That affected me directly. Right. Like, so does my wife. Yeah. You know? uh, we were talking about it when I first arrived. You know, it's, it's just to the point of absolute ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. The vaccine is not stopping you from getting Omicron. So why mandate it? Like, if we're all just going to pass it to each other anyway, there's no need to mandate a vaccine. The people that are going to catch it are going to catch it. The ones who are going to die from it are going to die from it. And I, I mean, if that means, you know, grandma lost five years off of your life, I'm sorry. That That is what it is. I am not willing to accept the fact that we cannot have a single case of COVID. And it, for me to have to wear a mask for the rest of my damn life. Because one 90-year-old or 10,000 90-year-olds might bite the dust five years earlier than they would have. It's, it's a harsh thing to say, but at a certain point, you have to live your life. You have We make risk mitigation decisions every day. Mm-hmm. Every time you get behind the wheel of a car, you make a, a risk decision. Like It's risky. I could die in a car accident, but I have to get to work to get a paycheck yep. and have a home. Yep. So I'm going to take that risk. At a, at a certain point, it's going to have to come down to that. I think this is a very touchy subject. Who knows? I might get kicked off of Spotify for this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're spreading misinformation. Yeah, we're spreading misinformation, whatever. Yeah, there's no misinformation about it. You could quote multiple studies now showing that natural immunity is the way to go. Uh, I mean, to the point that they said if you had a vaccine six months ago, you're still like more likely to catch it than you would be if you just had natural immunity. Yep. So I I was hoping Omicron would be the end of it because it spread so fast and it was, you know, fairly non-lethal. It seemed like it didn't kill as many people as the original variants. So you would have thought it would have created a herd immunity situation like quick, fast, and in a hurry. You would have thought. Yeah. I heard that there's already a new variant out. There's always going to yeah, be a new variant. Yeah, fear porn. Yeah, exactly. Because and it's about control. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, they just want to keep that control. Like you didn't even know who Anthony Fauci was until two years ago. Right. Like (laughs) If he can stay in the limelight for another six years and write two more books, of course, he's going to say the new variants, the deadliest thing since, you know, freaking smallpox. Just like big pharma's, you know, looking out for your health. Oh, yeah. They want to keep people alive so that they can put themselves out of business. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're not in the business of curing anything. They're in the business of medicating you through it. Which, uh, it's it's always a bad way to go. The interesting thing about this whole pandemic, though, is I think it exposed... <laughs> I think it exposed who is susceptible to authority and who is not yeah it separated the weak-minded from the strong-minded in a very quick fashion i was looking for a very gentle way to say that but yeah basically yeah that's what i'm getting at is yeah you got the people that follow the mainstream media and they're terrified of it Mm -hmm. i i know co-workers that are terrified of it to the point you know they're calling into work when we have a positive case walk through the door 
Mm-hmm. It's like, what? you're like 27 years old. Yeah. You're going to be fine mm-hmm. if you catch it, unless you have some kind of comorbidity or some kind of crazy underlying condition, you're not going to die. Like It's just so ridiculous to me how terrified people are and how easily manipulated they were by the media. Like when it first happened, you know, I was generally cautious, but I didn't walk around with a mask on everywhere. Same I went here. to the local gas station without a mask on. I went to, you know, wherever I wanted to without a mask on. There was a situation at the gas station right down the road from my work. I'm standing there in line right when COVID, you know, first hit. And it, this guy in front of me had a mask on. I was behind him in line. He turns around and kind of like looks at me and, you know, I can only see half his face, but I can obviously tell he's looking at me in a begrudging fashion. Right. So I'm like, you know what, man, turn around like that one more time. And I'm like, I know you're looking at me because I'm not wearing a mask. Yep. Like I'm 33 years old at this point. I am not going to die from COVID. I will literally walk up to you and cough all over your face. <laughs> and he just kind of shrunk his shoulders a little bit and turned back away from me. I'm like, oh, now all of a sudden you yeah. want to get confrontational. Yeah. Like, go go back to your house and watch CNN for a few more hours and, you know, huddle in get the scared. corner in the fetal position. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and keep living my life. I've been through worse. The, what's the worst case scenario? I catch it and it kills me. Oh, yep. darn. You know what I've noticed, too? Those people are also the people who like to accuse other people of being social media doctors. Yeah. Like, oh, you think you know so much about it. Well, clearly you think you know so much about it. Or you think these, you know, quote unquote experts do. Right. You got to listen to the science all the the time. Oh, geez. Yeah. You got guys like Anthony Fauci in the media saying literal quotes like if if you oppose me, you oppose science. No, no, I don't oppose that science is, at all. That is one of the most preposterous statements I've ever heard. It if was you, absolutely ridiculous. Right. If you oppose me, you oppose science. Oh, really? Yeah. So if I don't like Anthony Fauci, then I also don't like the fact that we can go to space. Yeah. Fuck you, Anthony Fauci. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the guy, he's an absolute That is joke. the most, that has got to be one of the most self-serving pompous statements i have ever heard in my life yeah he's not a scientist he's not a doctor at all he's just a, a he's political a talking head yeah he's a point. face oh yeah. my god just the amount of times he's flip-flop positions yeah i if, mean wear a mask don't wear a mask I like think, he should be wearing two masks for how how many faces he has because he obviously has two of them <laughs> <laughs> I think if they would have put him on TV half as much as they did mm. in the beginning, things would be way different right now. Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. he's. I would say, a solid chunk of the reason why everybody flipped out. Yeah. That definitely. guy got on TV and scared the fuck out of everybody. Yeah, him and the you CDC I mean? and the World Health Organization. I mean, at the end of the day, they were contributing factors in the public response you had the CDC coming out contradicting Fauci at times. Mm-hmm. You had Fauci contradicting the CDC, and then they kind of got together for a minute. And then all of a sudden, the World Health Organization was like, yeah, we should probably do this, too. And so like you've got like four different people telling you four different things. Mm-hmm. And, of, and of course, at a certain point, the public loses trust and they wonder why, like, you got these people saying, oh, you should listen to the experts. Well, which freaking one? 
<laughs> like I, I don't know what expert is right anymore because all of them have a different opinion. That's a solid point, man. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody explain it that way. Even like, you know, the big show is like, yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. Exactly. You want me to listen to the experts? Well, who's the fucking expert now? Yeah. Is it Fauci? Is it the CDC? Is it the, you know, CMS? Is it the White House? Right. Because none of them agree with each other. No, of course so, not. So, so what do you want me to do? Yeah. And it's, it's funny that none of them agree with each other because that is science. Science is... That is the great irony, isn't it? Yeah, science is having different opinions about things, forming hypothesis, and figuring out what the best course of action is. It's not this one-track, like, Anthony Fauci is the science. He is not the science. He's just a guy. And at this point, he's so embedded with the White House that he's not even a guy anymore. He's, like we said, just a talking head. Yeah. He's going to push whatever policy the white house wants him to push regardless of the science he doesn't care about the science all he cares about is being on tv and hearing his own voice at this point. well for christ's sake the guy what is it who was it that was talking about him doing an interview and in the background there's a big fucking painting of anthony fauci yeah who the fuck has a picture of themselves? uh i could quote a few guys uh saddam hussein <laughs> adolf hitler Joseph Stalin. Oh, hey, how about yeah. those guys? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They all have like mindsets, that's for sure. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. Like, no, I I just disagree with you. I just disagree with you. Yeah, that doesn't make me any less right than you. The fact that that guy is sitting in a room with a giant painting of himself tells you everything you need to know about Anthony Fauci. Yeah, pompous, self That man's ego is 10 miles wide. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? And that is something I you can't... I have no problem with self-confidence, but when sure. you just have a blatant ego problem, mm-hmm. I don't like you. No, I that's... I just don't like you. It's narcissism exactly. at its finest. Exactly. Like, it's one thing to have a family portrait. It's another thing to have a selfie <laughs> right, up right. on your wall that you had some <laughs> yeah. poor guy paint. Exactly. He's, he's probably sitting there the whole time like, I can't believe how freaking pompous this old man is. Yeah. Why am I... Oh, that's right. He's paying me like a hundred grand to yep. do this. I might as well just suck it up. You know what? To be fair... Because I am, I'm not a painter, but I'm a sketch artist. Yeah. If somebody like Anthony Fauci offered me a hundred grand to draw a picture of him, I'd be like, sure, I'll take your money, you dumbass. Yeah. And then somewhere in like his jawline, you hide like a penis. Yeah, like, just, just give him a dick tattoo right yeah. in the bottom of his jaw. Just somewhere really inconspicuous where he might not notice and still put it up on his wall. Put it up like in the corner of his lip. Yeah. There's just a real tiny dick. That yeah. You, you little, gotta use a, a magnifying glass to see it, but yeah. there's a dick going in his mouth. A little, little spurt. <laughs> If anybody's listening and you want to commission me to draw that drawing, I will draw that drawing for a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah, probably be better than uh, what's his name, Hunter Biden's photos that he paints or his portraits, whatever you want to call it. I haven't looked at them They're at, at his work. It's, See, it's awful. You're the first person I've heard say that, though. Really? I, I've heard people say it's not as great as p- other people make it out to be. Sure. But most people I've heard talk about Hunter Biden's art are like, it's it's not bad. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so was my, uh, you know, picture of a whale from third grade. <laughs> it, it wasn't that bad. So what is it like that abstract, pretentious prick art? Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. 
He probably sits in his, you know, room with a canvas and splashes paint on it. And, and calls, calls it, calls right, it art. calls it art, yeah. right, okay. But, I mean, that's kind of modern art in a nutshell. Right. Really th- like, what's the last amazing piece of art that you've seen? I bet you you can't even name one. Maybe something, well, who's that one really good graffiti artist, Banksy? Maybe something by him. Hmm. The guy that does, you know, like those really famous, um, I think they're graffiti. So they do like murals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's Banksy. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that one. Right. But maybe something by him. But again, how often do you see that? Yeah. And is he a Da Vinci? No. I mean, I mean, he's good. The guy's fucking good. But but we, we don't have in this generation outside of a few musicians that I might throw in the mix. You don't have any true artists anymore. You have a bunch of people that are rehashing old ideas. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a, that's a solid, solid point. And even in my own work. Ooh, that's a harsh judgment of myself, but I guess I'll make <laughs> that. I never really thought about that before. Yeah. But I'll use my drawings more than my music. Sure. But because I don't like to pick on my music, I'm very sensitive about it. It's my baby. <laughs> Understand. But my drawings, yeah, I don't really, when I draw, I don't really draw anything that I create in my mind. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless I'm like sketching up a blueprint for something. Sure, sure. But I'm, I'm like obsessed with the realism genre. Okay. Like yeah. I have this strange obsession with... If you look up on YouTube, there's all these crazy fucking videos hmm. of people that can draw so well that you can't tell if it's a photograph or if it's a drawing. Oh, yeah, like, I've seen this. They'll they'll yeah. they'll put the pictures side by side and yep. it's almost impossible to tell. I am fucking obsessed with achieving that level of ability. It's yeah. You um, know what I mean? So that's kind of mostly what I do. I kind of, I'll take pictures that I think are cool mm -hmm. and I'll draw them out and try and get them as good as I can get them. Yeah, sure. But like, exactly. I'm just rehashing shit when I draw stuff. out. Yeah. And I mean, who isn't? Right. There, there's not a lot of original art out there. Even a lot of musicians are, you know, they all have influences of course, but uh, you look a bit like the band that always drove me nuts was Greta Van Fleet. And I, I'll tell you why, because those guys were pompous enough to sit down in an interview and say that Led Zeppelin was not an influence yeah. on their music. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you are Led Zeppelin. Yeah. You guys totally stole your act from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I, hand, I when I first heard that uh, the song that we played in the band, mm-hmm. I thought. It was some unreleased That's Led Zeppelin tune. That's what I thought, tune. too. And I was blown away because I was, yeah. I'm was i a huge Led Zeppelin fan. So I was like, right. there's no way I don't know this. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, and then you look them up and there are a bunch of kids from Michigan. Yeah, from Frankenmuth, I think. Yeah, yeah. Friends of mine at the bar introduced me to them, actually. Really? Like, uh, yeah. You met those kids? No, didn't meet them. They introduced oh, me to oh, the music. Oh, yeah, the music. No. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, they said, you got to listen to these guys. You know, the singer's amazing. And I'm like, he sounds just like the guy from Led Zeppelin. And the guy from Led Zeppelin was amazing. Right. But I I can't be all that impressed. It's been done. Have you seen the Robert Plant interview about that? No. Oh, let me see if I can find it. it he's cool about it. He's really cool about it. He just kind of makes like a like an underhanded joke about like, yeah, I heard them. I know a guy that can sing like that. Let me see if I can find it, though. <laughs> See, Robert Plant talks about Greta Van Fleet, probably. Yeah. That came up. Okay, this is probably, it's a 54-second clip. <laughs> Becoming rock and roll bands that you really, really write. There's a band in Detroit called Greta Van Fleet. 
I might get in trouble for that. <laughs> uh, you can probably edit out the track. All right, stop playing it, you guys. Come on. They are Led Zeppelin one. Yeah. It's like the kid looks like he's just dropped out of a kind of a beautiful little singer. Yes. Very small. <laughs> I've seen them. Yeah. They're really, really young. Yeah. I've seen him. I and hate him. He's uh, he has got such a huge voice that he yeah, and he me. borrowed it from somebody I know very well. <laughs> <laughs> If those kids would have just come out and said, yeah, Ze- we're huge Zeppelin fans. Oh, I would have respected them. Yeah, that it point. would have been way more acceptable and respectable. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the fact that they tried to hide it, it was like. And they've died off so quick. Mm-hmm. Like, I, that's probably why, though. Yeah, they have. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to be a Led Zeppelin cover band or a tribute band, just do it. Yeah, own it. Like, I would love it. it. Like, if if those guys advertised themselves as a Led Zeppelin cover band and played Led Zeppelin tunes or a tribute band right. and say they played at some place in Detroit that I, you know, was nearby, I would go see them. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it'd be, be a great like, show. Those guys are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But you want to sit down and say, oh, no, no, we don't. I don't even know who Led Zeppelin yeah. is. Who's Led Zeppelin? <laughs> Get out isn't of that, here, kid. Isn't that a guy from the 40s? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I agree. I, I most new art nowadays is just rehashes and then a lot of pretentiousness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, even in the talk show world, you got a lot of people that just mimic other people now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, to get into talk shows, that whole Whoopi Goldberg thing is still cracking me up, too. Dude, you read my mind. I was just going to bring yeah. that up. I was literally just going to bring that yeah. up. Reminded me of the campaign. You ever see that movie with uh, Zach Galifianakis and Will Ferrell? No, I've never seen that. So they're they're two opposing politicians. And at a certain point, Will Ferrell's character invites Zach Galifianakis' character to a civility brunch, he calls it. And uh, he puts him up on the stage and he's expected to make a speech. And he says, you know, my dad always told me two things about making speeches. Number one, don't say anything bad about the juice. <laughs> Number two, tell an interesting story. <laughs> and it's like, as soon as she made a remark about the Jewish community, it was over for her. She could trash white people uh, until she's blue in the face. But the second she mutters something anti-Semitic, she's off the air. <laughs> Like, it, it blows my mind, the double standard on the, you know, the racism, end quote. Because personally, I don't care. If if she thinks that the Holocaust wasn't about race, she's an idiot. But does it make her, you know, wrong for saying it? Does it make her a racist? I don't really think so. I do. Really? Yes. Yeah. And I'll explain why. It's hmm. all in how she worded it. Okay. She completely outed herself as hmm. a racist. I don't want to fuck the quote up because yeah. it's important. Right. So I'm going to try. I'm, I think I found it, mm-hmm. but I believe Whoopi Goldberg is in fact a racist. I wouldn't doubt it one bit. I mean, I've seen snippets of her on The View and it's, uh, it's always a little bit unnerving. I I didn't take her particular comment as a racist comment. I just took it as probably the stupidest thing I've ever heard well, anyone say about the whole. <laughs> like, really? It wasn't about race. It's literally in Mein Kampf. Like, right, he wrote right. why he didn't like the Jews. He was only killing Jews. And J- Judaism on its face is not a race. But Hitler considered them a race of people. And if you read Mein Kampf, he literally says that the Jewish people are a race. Yes, he does. That it is not a religion. 
And I'd like to clarify, though, that I don't think her comment Mm -hmm. was particularly racist. Right. It's in the lead up to her comment that exposes her as a racist. Okay. Okay. I got to find it. Because when I heard it, like, I thought about it for like two, three hours. Like, yeah. Holy shit. Like, she, like, told everybody she's a racist. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, that's the, you know, pretentious part of them in the mainstream media. They think they're untouchable. Then let's be truthful about there you it go. because the Holocaust isn't about race. On Monday's show, the host of ABC <laughs> Interview fucking stupid. claimed the Holocaust was not related to race. It's not about race. It's not about what race. It about? Because it's about man's inhumanity to man. That's what it's about. Whoopi Goldberg. Goldberg. Yeah, no, it wasn't, though. Okay. Before I find it, before I go any further, that's a fair point, actually. In her defense, hmm. it's a generalized point. Yeah. You know, she's, she might not have been speaking in generalities, but when hmm. you put it in that context, that's a very generalized point. Sure. It's of course it's about man's inhumanity to man, you dipshit. Yeah. How the fuck can you just put people in blast furnaces and be like, this isn't inhumane. Right. So you're a dipshit for making that comment. That's a general comment. Most people that know anything about, you know, atrocity yeah. know that that yeah, okay, you're right. But but <laughs> as you said, you know, yeah, there's the nuance. And exactly. I, I feel like nuance is so lost. Like you're on this generation, right. there, there's no such thing as nuance anymore. Uh, being a racist, I was saying you can't call this racism. This was evil. Mm-hmm. This wasn't this wasn't based on the skin. You couldn't tell who was Jewish. They had to delve deeply to figure it out. Then tweeting an apology. Okay, that's my point. Now I I mistook that was from an interview on Colbert. So that oh, was yeah. after this whole thing. I thought that was said originally in the thing in the interview. Right. What she just said. Mm. Okay. They couldn't tell who was Jewish. Now, I think there is more to that interview where she says something to the effect of like, you know, with black and white people, you can tell who's black and who's white. Uh, Don't quote me on that. Yeah. Okay. Here's where she gives herself away. Mm. When you say something like that, Mm. and then you turn around and also say that the Holocaust wasn't about race, Mm. what you are essentially saying is that you, in fact judge people by the color of their skin and not the content of their character the exact opposite of dr king's message right you are a racist so shut up yeah agreed yeah and that nuance was lost like you said i mean it it, yeah it was about man's inhumanity to man it's such a common sense statement to make right it's so general it's pathetic to say that it wasn't about race is absolutely idiotic when as you said hitler put in mein kampf yeah that the the jews are a race yeah (laughs) i I believe a race of rats is what i believe that is what he referred or vermin or something to that degree yeah but no 
what she did essentially was expose herself as a racist. Well, it's she, about it's about time. I mean, I think she's done it multiple times. If that is the way that you view things, then yeah. you are a racist. You judge people based off of the color of their skin. Right. If you're expecting other people, that's called projection. Yeah. You were expecting other people to look at people the way you look at people. You're <laughs> right. a racist. You're a fucking racist. Yeah, I don't I care. And she's uh, she's almost like the worst kind because she can't admit it. Yeah. Like she, I am. Or she doesn't realize she is. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what? Yeah. She's she's willfully ignorant to the fact that she's a racist. And that wouldn't surprise me because the intelligence level of her comment was absolutely zero. So she probably <laughs> right? has absolutely well, zero ability to have, you know, self-reflection. The collective IQ of the people on that <laughs> show is probably 17. So, yeah. Yeah, you know yeah at I best, mean. I'd say. I'm actually a little surprised because isn't Joy Behar a Jew? Ooh. I'm I think she's Jewish. Sure. She may be. Here, we'll Google it. I'd be I'd be willing to bet, yeah. Is Joy Behar a Jew? <laughs> www.brainyquote.com. Joy Behar. I'm Italian, but some people think I'm Jewish. Oh. So maybe she's Italian. I don't know. I always thought she was a Jew. Yeah. Never mind. That nullifies. I was going to say, if Joy Behar was a Jew, I was actually surprised that she didn't, you know, kind of get really pissed about that. Yeah, she would have. Right. So uh, she's, she's got not a very a Jew, defensive so. attitude in a lot of situations. Right. Like if, if you've watched clips of The View where they bring out opposing viewpoints, uh, she's one of those that will just try to talk over the person yep. when they're actually making a valid point. And that's like, to me, that's the end all in an argument. Like the second you try to silence me by just overpowering me, You're, you realize that you have no basis in your argument yep. and that you are wrong. <laughs> I'm going to be right, so you have to find a way to get me to stop making my point before you look like an absolute idiot. Yep. Yep. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, I just... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it begs a lot of things into question, like we were saying about the nuance being gone and things, like with the Winter Olympics, you know, going on and the, you know, transgender debate, um, whether or not, you know, trans athletes should be able to compete with other genders like uh, that became another you know you're just prejudiced right it's like no i'm not trying to be prejudiced this situation is very nuanced right there's like, a lot of nuance to that yeah situation. like are are there some trans athletes that should probably compete in their you know assigned gender i think yeah are there some that could possibly be in the class of you know the gender that they've switched to maybe but it in terms of certain sports, it shouldn't be allowed at all, in my opinion. No, I agree. I think that was it. Dana White got in a lot of trouble for that in the UFC. Dana White and Joe Rogan got in a lot of trouble for yeah, that. Because they, I mean, there was a trans athlete competing in the UFC and they were beating opponents to the point of like near death. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to hurt somebody in this mm -hmm. case. You have to establish that nuance and say, you know, I, I understand that you went through this gender assignment, you know, reassignment, I should say, but that doesn't make it okay for you to beat up on women. Right. Like, it just doesn't. You're a man. You have a better bone structure. You have more muscle mass. You have more strength, generally speaking. Right. So you're, you can fight a girl five times in your weight class or above your weight class. I should say, you're probably still going to win that fight. Right. Like, unless you run into you know, Layla Ali, 
<laughs> like I, Ronda Rousey or something. Yeah, no, she kind of fell off. I, I was I was a fan of her at first, and then she she just kind of gave a one trick pony. Like oh, from yeah. a guy that knows no much about sports. yeah, I don't know much about that stuff. She was nothing but jujitsu. Jujitsu, uh, like she's a very good wrestler in jujitsu. She won like seventy percent of her fights with an armbar, and I think it got to her head because eventually she faced Holly Holm who was a world championship kickboxer. Okay. And it, it was kind of like an eat your words moment because she did an interview with some late night host. And she's like, yeah, I, I know how Holly thinks this fight's going to go. She's going to kick me in the face and knock me out. Well, she gets into the cage and decides she wants to try to stand up with this chick. And she's getting beat bad, real bad. And she starts reaching. And once she reached, Holly Holm whipped around with her left leg and clapped her right in the jaw. Nice. Knocked her out. <laughs> so it went exactly the way Holly Holm thought it was going to go. That's what happens when you get arrogant. Yeah. That's yep. what happens when you get arrogant. You get kicked in the face and knocked the fuck out. <laughs> yep. yep. Absolutely. Yep. Again, I'm all for confidence, but I don't like arrogance. No. I, I don't like, I don't care for arrogance at all. Yeah. I think it's a society of arrogance now. Mm-hmm. Everybody, and everybody thinks their opinion is the right opinion and there's no more room for, you know, others' opinions. That's a solid point. And, and I, I, I would also like to add a little tagline to that statement. Though I don't care for arrogance, I recognize that I have arrogant personality traits you know sure. what i mean no one's perfect you know no. what i mean yeah absolutely but uh, generally i just i just don't care for it like man just be cool just be cool man yeah there, there's a lost art to being humble in today's society right like a being being a humble person like you definitely don't want to get walked all over you have to have self-confidence in order to function in society. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, it's crippling. I would say probably 80% of the people that suffer from depression are suffering from some form of self-confidence issues. But uh, I agree with that. I think that's that's a solid, yeah, without, well, without having scientific background on it, yeah, I think it, that's solid, man. Because it, it almost brings up like the, the question of social media and its effect on society because I think self-confidence has gone down since the inception of social media. I agree. You used to see a lot of confident people out there, like a lot of people that knew what they were good at, that knew their strengths and played to those strengths and, you know, advanced in society. But now there's always that person on Instagram that you want to look like. And that every time you see a picture of somebody that you think looks better than you, you're losing self-confidence. Right. Every time you log on to TikTok and you see some, you know, chick that's probably pulling in 90K a year, shaking her ass on TikTok, right. you're mad because you can't do it. And it lowers your self-confidence because, right. you know, if you did the same thing. You'd have a hundred followers, you know, beta male right. orbiters, and you might get a couple <laughs> bucks off from here and there from Facebook pay, but you're not on their level. I but think, before you didn't know that, you know, yeah, like the only way you knew that was in the movies. Like right. you, you saw celebrities at the movies, and you said, "Oh man, you know that person's super attractive, probably you know a million better times looking to me." But it was just a person on a screen, right? But now you realize, like, oh shit. A lot of these people out here are just average people like me, but they're so much better. And I think that mentality has seeped into the society so badly. I agree. I think it's worse for <laughs> girls than it is for oh, guys. Oh, yeah, leaps and bounds. Because, like, we were, like, the guinea pig generation for all of this shit. Yeah. So I guess you could say that, like, our experience and what we have to say about it is, is legit. Yep. 
Myself personally with social media, I never felt like, I mean, I've always known that I have a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm probably on that level. I, but you know what? I don't really care. I'm happily no. married. I have a beautiful family, whatever. Yeah. You know, I don't care if, I'm, if as, as long as she thinks I'm attractive, that's all that matters. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, my, the only thing that bugs me is like, I do kind of wish I was built like Thor. Yeah, you know, why and not? I'm a scrawny motherfucker. And I, I think every guy should strive to be like that anyway. Right. I mean, and that's, I agree. That's the peak of, you know, being masculinity, a man. Right. And it, it puts into, into place this whole toxic masculinity, you know, movement too. Because at the end of the day, we, you know, we were just talking about the military and how I don't think that the combat readiness is what it used to be. But if we didn't demonize toxic masculinity or masculinity in general, because I think is. toxic masculinity is just a bullshit made up term. I don't. No, really. Yeah. Now, don't <laughs> don't mistake this as me thinking like that there's a problem with masculinity. Sure. I'm a big fan of masculinity. Yeah. I may be scrawny, but I'm, I ain't no bitch. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Regardless of that. There's masculinity, but I think what toxic masculinity really is, mm. is dudes that mistake what real masculinity is. Oh, uh, yeah, that's probably fair. There's, it's dudes with an immature view of masculinity. Yeah. That the guy, create toxic masculinity. Yeah, I mean, there's a point where, you know, being masculine, being muscular... And but it, I don't know, being a man in right. general is a good thing. Masculinity, in my opinion, and I don't even think it really should be a matter of opinion. I think it's a fact. Yeah. Masculinity is a mindset. Yeah, definitely. And that's where I think the toxic misunderstood version of masculinity comes in. Yeah, you're, you're talking the guy that wants to get into a bar fight just because he walked into the bar to prove that he's a man. Exactly. Yeah, that, uh, that kind of mentality man, is unhealthy. A real man, at least this is what my understanding of a real man is. It's what I strive to be. A real man doesn't have to talk about how badass he is. Mm -hmm. He just waits until the opportunity presents itself and then he shows how badass he is. Yeah, I would agree with a that. A real man doesn't have to talk about it. A real man doesn't have to brag about it. No. A real man just is it, and that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I Where the toxic part is the dudes that, like you said, are the guys that walk into the bar and just start a fight to start a fight. Yeah. Because look at how much of a badass I am. Right. That's toxic masculinity. You're misunderstanding masculinity with being a dumbass. Yeah. You know I what I mean? Masculinity, being a man is whether you have a traditional nuclear family hmm. or you have an unconventional family, being a man is taking care of your family. Agreed. You know what I mean? It's not about getting drunk and acting like a fucking asshole. No. You know no, what I absolutely mean? Absolutely not. So I, I, I do think that toxic masculinity is real, but I don't think it's as prevalent as... It's we're led to believe yeah. just because there's a famous Hollywood producer or a famous Hollywood comedian mm. that rapes women doesn't mean that we all rape women. No, yeah, I man. actually find rape to be repugnant. Yeah. Thank you very much. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that uh, that got pushed to an extreme in a real quick fashion. Right. I Not mean, to every the point guy where... is Harvey Weinstein. 
No, and it, as a you know, as a man in today's society, you almost have to be extra careful now. You do. I mean, to the point where you know, part of being masculine to me is to have that self confidence to be able to you know, say approach a girl. I hate to use the bar scenario, but to approach a girl and you know, introduce yourself and express interest and find a way to connect with that person. And to overcome that barrier of, oh, you know, I might get, you know, denied or I might get, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, shot down, I guess yeah, you could say. You rejected, have to, rejected. Part of being masculine is overcoming a fear and being able to act the way that is going to be beneficial to you in the long run. So to the point where, you know, the toxic masculinity and the rape culture, per, you know, perfeated the media and all of a sudden it was, you know, toxically masculine or, you know, you were raping a girl by asking for her phone number. Right. See, that? Like, yeah, that, that's where it goes way, way, way too far. Because if you're going to accuse men of raping women for asking for their phone numbers, yep. the human race is going to die off real quick. Oh, we like, are real we're already at the point of unsustainability. If you're, what's well, what's the birth rate right now? Well, it's less than one point five, which is sustainability, I believe. I, I think. I think in the West, it's 2.1 is is sustainability. We are below. Yeah. We're below yeah. sustainability rate. But I think in the West, sustainability rate is 2.1 children per family. And how, how much of that could you attribute to social media again? I, I would be willing to contribute about half of that to social media. And, and here's why. Because in, in today's society it's become so much easier and so much more glorified to not want the nuclear family. Yeah. Like it, it's become to the point where having a family is seen as a burden. Like you have these, you know, strong independent females and you've got, you know, the pickup artists and, you know, a bunch of bad advice out there about what you should be doing in terms of a relationship that it's, it's seeped into the minds of, what I would say is the generation right after us. I think in ours, ours too. I think honestly, this is, I'm sure a lot of people agree with this, but it's kind of an oddball point. I think Disney actually screwed a lot of things up. <laughs> yeah, I really do. I, I like yeah. to pick on Disney, especially in our movie reviews. If you listen to any of those, mm -hmm. I, I definitely throw shade at Disney and Marvel all the time. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Right. But I think Disney and entities like Disney gave young girls a really unrealistic expectation of what not only a relationship is, but what love is. Yeah, I would agree. You know what that. I mean? That's why you have so many of those girls out there that have like the, what do you call it? Where they want to fix the boy. They they go after the bad boy because <laughs> I'm going to fix him. That's fucking Disney shit, dude. They yeah. learn that shit by watching fucking Disney princesses fix the bad boy. Well, you I, know what I mean? Like I said, that's a hairball kind of off yeah. the wall point. But, but it it does, you know, expose a lot of the, the female psyche. And uh, for our limited understanding as dudes, the oh, female dude. psyche, females like competitive guys. And a lot of times, you know, the guy that needs to be fixed is the super competitive, you know, guy who probably has a lot of, uh, you know, self-confidence issues himself. And he's doing these things to prove that he's a man. And at the end of the day, a female sees that and they see a guy who's ultra competitive and always, always wanting to fight. 
and, you know, doing things that are in the short term probably going to benefit him financially, like, say, a drug dealer, for instance. I mean, this is this is the idea that this guy is dangerous. He's, you know, he's still probably got a lot of money on him if he's any good at what he's doing. Should she be with him? Probably not. <laughs> but is she going to be attracted to that? Absolutely. Because it's thrilling. And, yeah, yeah. Well, females don't like passive men. Right. And that's where this toxic masculinity is really seeping into the, you know, the relationship culture, because at the end of the day, you only have, you know, two types of women out there now, women that see toxic masculinity as awesome and they want the bad boy. Right. Or you see, you know, the female that thinks, like I said, asking, you know, having a guy compliment her is some form of rape. And it's it's kind of funny to say, because. I'd be willing to bet in those situations where things like that have gone down, like say uh, for I'll use an example I do from the military. And uh, this is, you know, where I would consider rape culture might actually be a thing because sexual assault in the military is sky high. I've heard that. Oh, it's astronomical. I mean, you got testosterone flying all over the place and limited females (laughs) to massive amounts of males. So it's going to be a recipe for disaster. Right. That's always a recipe for disaster. So in a particular instance that I was made aware of, uh, a female soldier had a one night stand with a male soldier. She was pretty well known for doing this. Okay. So she apparently wakes up the next day, regrets it. And takes him in front of a military tribunal and he gets charged with sexual assault. And, uh, you know, the reason why she picked that guy, because he wasn't as physically attractive as the rest of the guys that she had slept with. I really feel like uh, a lot of these, you know, messed up girls with that kind of mindset, it would be perfectly okay if a guy complimented them as long as they were attracted to them. If they aren't attracted to them, all of a sudden it's rape. Wow, that is, that's solid, man. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you seen it? You, you've seen probably a, a, at least a dozen times a girl at a bar shrug off a guy that's hitting on her. Mm-hmm, and then he's all, not hot or cute yeah, or whatever. But then yeah. all of a sudden the guy that she's interested in starts hitting on her and she's fine with it. Mm-hmm. So that became this situation where they realized like, you know, I don't even have to turn this guy down anymore. All I have to do is just say, hey, you're raping me. Yep. <laughs> like it, it, false accusations are, uh, I mean, you know, we're supposed to listen to the Me Too movement from back in the day, though, <laughs> you know, believe all women. But uh, how can you? Uh, yeah, Especially with shit like that. Yeah. And it's probably a lot more prevalent than people in the media would like to admit. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, man. <clears throat> I mean, I've said this for a long time, but. Like if her and I ever get divorced, mm. that's it for me. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm single for the rest of my fucking life. <laughs> Fuck that shit. I don't want nothing to do with it for that reason. Yeah. Because I'm kind of an awkward person. You know, I wouldn't say that I lack self-confidence, but right. I'm, I'm, this sounds preposterous coming from someone who has a talk show. Yeah. <laughs> But in a public situation, I'm really not much of a talkative person. I'm kind of boring, to be completely honest. Oh, yeah, I'm the same way. The things that I'm interested in, it's like niche things where you have to be interested in it, too. Or you're not going to know what the fuck I'm talking about. Sure. So in in public situations, I tend to kind of keep to myself. Yeah. And I'm kind of awkward. 
sometimes I say dumb shit. What the fuck happens if I'm like, hi, and then all of a sudden, you're raping me. Like, fuck that, <laughs> right? dude. Fuck that. Hey, you no just way. go home and never go out again. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you know, what do you do? I, I, I love women. Yeah. I really do. I, I'm a big fan of females, mm. but if I ever get divorced, I am not dating again because it is not worth I'll just be that curmudgeonly old dude that sits on his front porch. Get the fuck off my lawn. <laughs> That's my life goal if I get a divorce. Just uh, be the curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Because it ain't worth getting charged with rape. Well, it's a rough world out there in the dating world. I mean, you you got things like social media influence dating. You've mm. got you know poor perceptions on both sexes part of what a relationship should probably be like nowadays. So it, it's pretty hard, you know, to find that uh, that person that you actually connect with now, like you said. Like, if, if you really look at what the generations, bef- like, after us are interested in now, I'm not interested in it at all. Oh, God, no. Like, for a 35-year-old guy, you know, it used to be, you're probably looking in the age range of 25 to 30. You know, if you're a smart guy. Right. But now 25 and 30 year olds are starting to sound like 14 year olds. Right. And it's like, man, what happened? <laughs> like this, this society just took a big deep dive and it's, it's so sad. You know, uh, l- let me rephrase that earlier statement. Actually, if I ever did decide to date, <laughs> if I ever decided to date again, if I ever got divorced, hmm. I think I would go for an older woman. Yeah, that's you know what I mean for that reason because the younger women there's too much risk with them. Yeah, but there's like a limit to that because if I'm you know like 40 years old and divorced, like I don't really want to you know date like a 60 year old. No, (laughs) I mean there's some beautiful 60 year old women out there, but any kind of 60 year old woman that this face is gonna pull in, (laughs) (laughs) nope. (laughs) Yeah, they they probably already bagged the trophy 30 year old. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I have a face for radio, so. But yeah, I think I'd go for an older woman. You know what I mean? I I think that's a fair statement. Uh, Limited presence on you know social media, probably limited exposure Mm. to the culture that we are experiencing right now. Plus. You know, they're more secure in themselves. They, you yeah. know, they've been around the block a couple of times. They've dealt with a couple of assholes. They know what they want. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, nothing wrong with that. So, but I'm happily married. I pray to God every day I don't get a divorce. <laughs> yeah, they, uh. She's going to have to divorce me because I have no intentions. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad I'm married. That's all I'm saying about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so what else is new anything uh not too much going on lately um just a lot of work um you know this crazy weather we've been having a lot of snow shoveling yeah not a whole lot really interesting going on um you know hoping to pick the the band back up um trying to write some original stuff here and there one of these days i'll have to come by and uh actually play a song on the air like uh Todd yeah. did, i believe yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be a good time. I was going to learn that one that we were talking about. It was that one country song. I forget now. It was a whiskey. Oh, must be the whiskey. Must be the whiskey. By Cody Jenks. Yeah. We had talked about it and you sent it to me and I listened to it a couple of times and the craziest thing happened. I have no fucking clue how this happened. Hmm. I cut the shit out of my finger. Oh. And I have no idea how the hell I did it. Yeah. It was, it was my index finger. It's all healed up now. But the week we were talking about it, I was at work Mm. and I'm working away 
and I've got pretty thick skin, sure. but I also have thin blood. Uh, so like I get a paper cut and I'll bleed for <laughs> bleed like for three days. days. Yeah. You know what I mean? But this cut was like fucking deep and I didn't feel it when it happened. And uh, I have no idea how it happened. I'm at work and I'm at my machine while well, the one crank to make the table go towards you or away from you as opposed to side from side. Sure. The one crank for for doing that is down by your balls when oh, you're God. standing in front of it. <laughs> and I've been doing that shit for so long that I don't have to look. I just mm-hmm. I know where the handle is at. I can grab it. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm working and I go up to my machine and my hand must have been bleeding for like five minutes and I had no fucking clue. Right. <laughs> I go up to my machine, I turn it on, and I grab the handle down by my balls, and it felt real sticky. Hmm. And I'm like, that ain't normal, you know? And I look down, and the handle's red. Yeah. The handle's not supposed to be red. <laughs> no. The handle's like, you know, the color of, oh, I think they're chrome-plated, or they're, you know, they've got sure. that shiny shit on it. Yeah, oh, yeah. And the handle's fucking like Coke can red. Oh, God. Right? And I'm like, what the fuck? And I look at my hand, and my whole hand is soaked in blood. Wow. Like, I'm surprised nobody around yeah, me was like, dude, what happened to your hand? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like <laughs> I said, I must have been bleeding for like five minutes. Nice. Right? And when I'm at work, I, I, I keep a rag in my back pocket. Well, we have those, the rags we get are like those... We get boxes from Goodwill, and it's just white T-shirts and shit just cut up into rags. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I've got this white rag hanging out of my pocket, Mm. and I wipe my hands all off of it. Now this white rag is red. Yeah. And I look down at my hand, and my finger is just gushing blood. (laughs) I'm going, oh, fuck, I need stitches. Uh, You know what I mean? Yeah. So I go to the bathroom. I clean it all up. It was a fucking paper cut, dude. (laughs) It was it was a fucking paper cut, basically. Got to get some red meat in the diet, man. That's <laughs> get the, the thing, though, out. is that, like, I eat red meat like it's going out of style. Yeah. But, like, I bled like a son of a bitch. Well, the reason I couldn't play the song is because the cut was right in the middle of the pad of my finger. Yeah, right where you're hitting strings. So... Yeah, you get that paper cut and your oh, fingers yeah. start sweating and then you're pushing on them metal and it just hurts like a motherfucker. Oh, not only that, but you don't want to bleed all over the fretboard. Oh, I don't care about that. <laughs> I, when I was uh, learning how to play guitar, dude, I was that kid. I was obsessed, man. I would sit there and play until so my bled. fingers bled. Yeah. And then I'd keep playing. See, if I had a guitar that I didn't have to put on blocks to take the damn strings off, I wouldn't be so mad about it. Because I got a Floyd Rose bridge. I got to yeah. you know take off the locking nut. So I got to take them out of the bridge with the little, you know, ceramic blocks mm-hmm. that hold the strings in place. Restringing that ESP guitar with the Floyd Rose on it will take me a solid two and a half hours. Yeah. And was... I'm, I'm going to throw the bottom E string at least six times before I get it to stay. <laughs> I, get, I had it one day. I was sitting in my barracks playing and I snapped a bottom E string and I... I thought, oh, I got a set, so I'll, you know, spend the day restringing. It was a weekend. And I had it all together first shot. And I was like, oh, that's new. I pick it back up and I want to stretch strings a little bit out. So I'm going to play a little. And as I'm playing the bottom E string throws, freaking snaps me right in the neck. I was so pissed. (laughs) At that point, I just I said, you know what? Screw it. And I drove to uh, I think it was DeRitter, Louisiana, where they had a guitar center down there. It might have been Lake Charles. Now I can't remember. 
but I, I took it to him and I said, Hey man, just restring this one. Yep, like yep. tune in, tune in me flat a half step down and just restring it. He's Those, like, what happened? I'm like, well, I, I tried to restring it myself. And then this happened. I showed him the <laughs> weld on the side of my neck. He's like, yeah, that, uh, that Floyd Rose will do that sometimes. Yep. I'm like, yeah, well, hopefully once you string it, it doesn't do it again. Cause it hurt like a bitch. So. Those bridges are awesome because once you tune them, they never fall that's out. That's it. Yep. Yeah, they never fall out. Yeah, minute adjustments at best because the tuners are down on the bridge. Mm-hmm. That uh, that always throws people. There's two things about my guitar that throw people. <laughs> it's tuning on the bridge and the reverse headstock. I can't count the number of people that have asked me if that ESP that I have is a left-handed guitar. I'm like, no, I'm not playing like Jimi Hendrix with a <laughs> you know left-hander upside down. That that'd be pretty cool. But no, it's it's a reverse headstock, and I think it had something to do with a lawsuit that Jackson filed against ESP. Really? Yeah, because they were so similar in, in terms of style and design. And ESP, um, I believe at a certain point, they signed Metallica to some kind of a long-term contract to produce signature guitars for Metallica. Okay. And before that, for the most part, Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield were playing Jackson's. So Jackson seeing the loss in revenue and the loss of, you know, the uh, biggest name in modern yep, rock, yep. they were like, yeah, we should probably shut this company down. So they tried <laughs> to sue him and almost as like a slap in the face, ESP started designing him with reverse headstocks. And they said, look, now it's different. Yeah, now it's different. <laughs> like, it's really hey, not. But that's the solution, though. That's yeah. the market at play. Well, I mean, I've picked up Jackson guitars. I love Jackson guitars. They fly. I mean, they're gorgeous, but it feels just like my ESP. I mean, down to a T. They use the same wood. I don't actually. I don't care for Jackson's personally. Really? Yeah, it's it's because of the neck. Hmm. For me, I have an odd shaped hand. Like Jackson necks seem, and maybe it's a perception thing. I don't know, but yeah. to me, Jackson necks seem like they're really wide. I believe you know what they I mean? are actually not so much fat as in distance from the palm of your hand to the tip of your fingers. Sure. But distance between strings yeah. seems really big. Well, I think ESP and Jackson both design guitars like that. They call them jumbo frets. Are they? My ESP has jumbo frets. Does it? You've played mine before, haven't I you? I think so. Yeah. Is that the one you bring to practice? Yeah. The then black yeah, one's yeah, going crossbones yep, on yep, it. Yep. Yeah. And I think you even made a comment when you had it that you were like, man, I feel like I'm missing frets. And yep. I told you it's because they're jumbo frets. They're, yeah, I, I just, think they're like four or five centimeters bigger than an average fret on a fretboard. Okay. Yeah. Plus mine's a 24 fretter. And I think Fender for the most part plays 22, don't they? Like, I think the Strat comes in a 24, but the Telecasters, I think, are a 22 fret guitar. I, I'm not a hundred percent, but I think you are correct on that. Yeah. But yeah, I I like the, the, and I guess it's a matter of preference. It really is. But for me personally, I like the Gibson style neck better. Yeah, where it's a more compact right neck. I feel like I can get better speed. Like my guitar, my electric isn't mm. a Gibson, but it's basically designed. It's after a, Gibson. It, it, they took the Gibson Les Paul design and yeah. just slapped a different name on it kind of like Gretsch right exactly but yeah I prefer that smaller thinner fretboard as opposed to the because like I I feel like I can't get any speed out of those well when I picked up the Epiphones that we have on the rack you know for practice I had to get used to the Epiphone uh that Explorer especially because the fretboard is a lot smaller Mm -hmm. than the ESP so it um it threw me for a loop I was hitting you know G strings instead of D strings 
Like I really, um, I, it was almost like I was missing, uh, missing a fret by, you know, one plus. Right. Like I'm, I'm trying to play a four, two power chord, but I'm playing a five, three. And right. I don't even realize <laughs> right. it or I'm playing like a three, two. And I'm like, well, what the, I know I'm playing this chord, right? Because that's where my hand goes when I play this. Chord. Oh no, that's right. It's a different guitar. <laughs> like, what? What made you want to start playing? Like when you decided to, how old were you? Uh, 14. Yeah. Yeah. I was 16. I think I got my first guitar on my 16th birthday. Yeah. Mine, um, I, I was over at my cousin Joe's house. Uh, he had a friend named Alex who was an incredible guitar player. Um, not even 12 years old. And this kid was playing very complex music. I think at the time, um, like guitar hero 2 was really big and my curse by kill switch engage was on that particular game he learned how to play it at 13 years old kid you not he could play my curse by kill switch wow. down to the t and he he had a dad that played he had a lot of money they had a recording studio down in the basement ah. and he had this ibanez rg and it was uh like a woven maple but a dark gray like a real real gorgeous looking guitar and I picked it up and started playing and he was teaching me little things here and there. And I always wanted to learn how to play guitar. If I had to put a moment on it that I decided I was going to, you know, actually sit down and learn how to play. It was probably when I heard Master of Puppets. Like that that song alone was enough to make me want to pick up a yeah. guitar, which is why yeah, I could play 90% of Metallica's songs. Right. So. That's how I am with Led Zeppelin. See... I was the same way. I always wanted to learn how to play from. I can remember yeah. being a kid wanting a guitar, a little kid wanting a guitar. Yeah, wanting seven, to learn eight how to years play. old. But, and this is going to sound so terribly cheesy, but what made me pull the trigger, like, I'm, I'm going to learn how to play. I wanted to impress a girl. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't impress her. I failed miserably. Yeah, but you know what? It's I'm probably because you're playing Led Zeppelin. Well, fair enough. But you know what? I won. I, I won that deal because I'm a pretty good guitar player. Not yeah. tooting my own horn, but I'm yeah, a pretty now, good guitar player. Now, so. if you want to pick up a song to impress a girl, you could do it in like 0.5 seconds. And it doesn't even yeah. fucking matter anymore. Yeah, because all the songs that would impress girls are not technically sound guitar riffs. They're four chord country yeah, songs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Oh, yeah. I can play that shit in my sleep, dude. I don't even have to know the song. Right. You just hear it and play it. I think there was a guy in my unit. His name was Kozlowski. He could play um, Broken by amy lee and seether oh yeah oh, and I, I, he got laid a bunch it, well actually he was in a pretty committed relationship but it was funny to watch because our unit for whatever reason in field artillery like we had the uh you know the alphas of the bunch and every time we would go out it would become a party back at the barracks and i mean these guys were pulling strippers back to the barracks left and right so by the time we get back to the rooms first thing kozlowski does is try to you know distance himself <laughs> from the females and he picks up a guitar because which is he, the worst way to distance yourself yeah, from well, the female. I, I think it was almost like a guarded thing that he did because he felt like the guitar was between him and everybody else. And he starts strumming the you know opening riff to broken. And I just looked over. I'm like, oh, here it goes. And every girl's head in the room just turns toward him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, you should probably play something else. See. Dude, my guitar playing never had that effect for me, ever. You know what effect it did have? It got all of my friends laid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a... What's what's the term for that? Monkey branching? Something. When a, when a girl will 
when a girl will vein interest in you because she's actually interested in your friend. Right. And right. I mean, not to say guys don't do it too, because well, right. we've all probably been guilty of, you know, chatting up the, the girl at the bar who's there with the good looking girl. Oh yeah. And it's, it's just because we want to seem like, you know, the nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe, maybe I'll score some points if I talk to the six, if I'm shooting for the eight. Right. You know? Right. It's, it's sad to say, but that's, that's probably the case. But yeah, no, it was like, cause you know, I, once I got, okay i don't even want to say decent like, yeah once i could strum a guitar i started joining bands right and as i got better at guitar it seemed like all my bandmates got laid and i didn't hmm. so i just got really good at guitar <laughs> <laughs> just can't figure if i could just get that much better maybe i could actually pull some tail <laughs> well see part of that though was i was cock blocking myself because like i'm gonna i'm like i'm gonna get really good and impress this one girl uh, instead of being like i'm gonna get really good and impress all the girls. 50 girls i'm like i'm yep. gonna impress this one girl and she's like you're a loser <laughs> brutal, brutal. I mean, she never actually called me a loser. No, I'm sure she yeah. probably thought it, you yeah, know, but just yeah, stringing you along to vain interest for right, a minute. Just right. pr- probably just being nice. Right. Honestly. Exactly. But, but again, like I said, I won in that deal because I got good at guitar. So yeah. fuck you. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't say I ever picked it up for, um, you know, female attention. I, uh, I do enjoy being up on stage. Um, I know, do now. Yeah, <laughs> like I the first time I sang karaoke, I was petrified. Yeah, like I I knew I could sing to an extent. Like I I'm not Pavarotti or anything, but I can sing a you know a karaoke tune. No, for anybody who's listening, he's not lying. He is, and maybe I'm biased because we're friends right. and we're in a band together. But he's actually a really really good singer. So Man, take him I, at his word. When I got <laughs> up and sang, I think the first song I ever sang for karaoke was Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. Okay, and I remember you know getting up there and i had a bit of a thing for the karaoke host actually um her name was becky she she probably won't ever listen to this but if she does it'll be super embarrassing that she <laughs> but uh you know i i got done and handed her to the mic and her you know her jaw was like on the floor and she just didn't expect me to be able to sing like i i don't know what it is about like my physical appearance but i guess i don't look like i could sing because really? I, I disagree with that actually i don't know i get it a lot like uh, every time i come off a of stage somebody's like man you did really really good i didn't expect you to be good <laughs> like wow i'm like that says two things either people that come into this bar suck at karaoke or you just like you have this weird thing about the way i look versus the sound of my voice <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I I would actually have to disagree with that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that like you look like you look like a singer. Right, you know, and right. I wouldn't say that, but like I wouldn't say that you look like you can't carry a tune either. Yeah. Like Jesus Christ, people. No, some some people are really <laughs> odd. Like I I I sing a lot of different songs for karaoke when I do. I mean, you've you've heard in the band, you know, the ranges that I can really hit and oh, the ones yeah. that I really can't. And uh, I think the one that I tried that stood out to me was uh, the Shinedown cover of Simple Man. Oh, boy. Yeah, I tried to pull that off in a karaoke contest in Marine City, and I used it as my last song as like a latch dish effort mm-hmm. because I was up against this really stiff competition. I, I don't remember her name. I saw her not too long ago, actually, out in Marine City. Um, she was partially deaf and literally had two hearing aids in. 
and, and she could sing oh yeah i mean like like you wouldn't believe really yeah her last song for karaoke was old time rock and roll and she got up there and belted it out like the original i mean put really? a put a female twist on the vocals was out in the crowd not even looking at a screen knew all the words like you could tell like she's done this once or twice <laughs> and it, it was it was kind of like a kick in the teeth moment after I had lost. I was like, all right, I came in second. That's not bad. Because it was out of like 50 people. But uh, she came up to me and she's like, oh, can I take a picture with you? You're really good. <laughs> I'm like, you, you, <laughs> you don't. Uh, yeah. Like, thanks. Thanks for the consolation. You know, I, I really would have liked that 500 bucks they just handed you. Right. I, I still ended up with like some kind of a prize. I can't remember what they gave me, but they, um, you know, afterwards, I talked to her for a little bit, and I noticed the hearing aids. I'm like, what do you have hearing aids for? She's like, well, I'm partially deaf. I have a degenerative thing in my ears. Eventually, like, by the time I hit 30, they say I'll probably be fully deaf. Wow. I was like, wow, that's the saddest thing I ever heard. I was like, I really hope you don't give up singing because you're really, really good at it. Like, I, it had to humble me a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was super impressive to see her do that. Right. Yeah. When I was 18, you know, thinking back on this, I wasn't mad at the time mm. because I was so odd. But thinking back now, I'm actually like, that guy was kind of a douchebag. Mm. Because when I was 18, like I said, I started playing when I was 16. So I had been playing for two years. Yeah. And after two years, I had gotten fairly decent. I True. wasn't great. I'm, I wasn't as good as I am now, but I was okay. Yeah. You know, I entered into a guitar competition, like a guitar off at oh. a local music store yeah, in the sure. city. And there was, there was probably like 10 people that entered. Okay. Then the last, I was second to last, mm -hmm. right? Then the last guy comes on. Yeah. Okay. Now everybody in this competition up to this point was 21 years old and younger. Okay. Okay. Probably had been playing for four or five years. The the guy that had been playing the longest, probably four or five years. Okay. okay? Yeah. Then this like 45-year-old dude gets up there. Oh, jeez. Okay. And I had played, I'll never forget this because I had played, I <laughs> getting ready for this competition, I spent like two and a half weeks and I took like every song that I knew how to play melded it together and i yeah i took yeah. all the great riffs from all of those songs because i at one point dude i knew how to play like a hundred fucking songs it was stupid my bad you know yeah. so i took all the great riffs and i went by key and i like melded them all together Ooh, nice. so i played and i think we had like two minutes that was okay. our time we had to play whatever we were gonna play it was about two minutes two minutes long so i went for two minutes and like just pulled every awesome riff i knew just <laughs> threw it out there right right and i i had played the opening riff to led zeppelin's heartbreaker oh brutal right yeah this fucking guy and like i said at the time i wasn't mad because yeah. i was just so in awe at what i'm about to explain this guy did mm -hmm. but thinking back now it's like you're a douche dude you're a douche yeah. because this fucking guy gets up on stage and he goes Oh, so I see we got some Led Zeppelin fans out in the crowd. And then proceeds to play the entire guitar solo to Heartbreaker. Wow. Nonstop, all the way through, note for note. Wow. And won the competition. Well, of course. 
Right. I mean, how could the music store owner not give that guy first place? Yeah, that's a nasty But at the same time, you're a fucking douchebag. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got a bunch of, like, 18-year-old kids (laughs) that, for all intents and purposes, suck at guitar. Right. And you just came and shit all over them. Yeah, he's probably been playing for, like, 30 years. I hope you feel real good when you're at home jacking off by yourself tonight, buddy. (laughs) You fucking asshole. Too funny. (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've entered a couple of karaoke contests. I won one at the Yale Hotel, actually. That was a really good night. It was on a, a lot of people have the, you know, superstition about Friday the 13th. Yeah. For me, I do not. Uh, Friday the 13th, I view as probably my luckiest day of the year. So they do baloney festival in Yale, Michigan. So for everybody that, yeah, I, I want everybody who's listening, Google Yale, Michigan. Dude, I want to play baloney fest so bad. It though. would be a great I show. I want to do it so bad. I don't think they're going to run it anymore. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, do, do yourself a favor, Google Yale, Michigan, and you'll find out it's the baloney capital of the United States. It's like the most ridiculous, and it, it fits the town perfectly. You know, it's got one stoplight and a bunch of weird-ass people. So I entered a karaoke contest on Friday the 13th. I think it was like a Friday. It was 25 bucks to get into it. And I, at the time, I had sat down, and they were doing a 50-50 drawing for the Bologna Festival. And that was 10 bucks for a ticket. And I'm in the Yale Hotel, and the place is wall-to-wall. So there's probably maybe 80 90 people pretty small place but at 10 bucks a pop you got 900 dollars in the pot right and it was i think like 500 to the winner you know 250 to the next guy and 250 to the next guy whatever equal whatever they had in the pot so, so it's a decent prize anyway yeah so i'm i'm waiting for you know the first song of the karaoke contest and i've got a keynote ticket in front of me and a 50 50 ticket and they draw the 50-50 and I hit it. I win 100 bucks. Nice. Then I'm playing a uh, four-spot Kino ticket with the extra, which pays out $410. I'm not even looking at the screen. I go up and sing my first song, and I make it through the round. I, I started with Kryptonite, of course. And then uh, I go back and sit down, and I looked at my ticket, and I realized the draws were up, so I had her check the ticket comes back with four hundred and ten dollars oh my god i hit the extra <laughs> on four numbers on a keynote ticket as i was singing so i'm sitting in my you know bar stool now with nine hundred and ten dollars oh my god and i end up making it through the second round of the karaoke contest singing something easy i think i did like follow me by uncle cracker okay and i i make it through to the end and i i think i ended with slide by the Goo Goo Dolls, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Uh, competition wasn't really stiff. So the, I end up winning that, and I pull another $300. So You're uh, fucking kidding me. No, on Friday the 13th, in the span of about three hours, I won $1,200. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would say yeah. Friday the 13th is your lucky day, my friend. Oh, yeah. Remind yeah. me to hang out with you on the next Friday <laughs> right. the 13th. Yeah, buy you a lotto ticket or two. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, it was a good time. Um the the other karaoke contest that I did out in Marine City was an outdoor venue. Um, usually they run one at the Dorsey House out by Yale. I, I've never entered that one, but uh, a guy I knew from Marine City uh, ended up winning it. They do a pretty big contest. He opened up for Chris Young, who's a pretty like prevalent country singer at the okay. time. He won it, I think, like six years ago, and it it winds up like starting at the Dorsey House and it goes to some big name bar in Detroit. 
and like uh, a like a huge pub crawl. Yeah, but it's like a competition between I think six or seven different bars. Wow, uh, it's it spans out almost two or three months, and he made it all the way through and ended up winning it, and he got to open up at a live show for Chris Young. Wow, yeah, wow. So. You know, there's a there's a couple of guys out of Marine City that, uh, you know, they're really talented musicians. Um, there was a guy from Marine City wound up on, uh, I think it was America's Got Talent. I think you're right. Yeah, it's, what was his name? Jeff, Jeff Goot. Um, and he, I think he was runner up in the competition, but now he is the lead singer for Stone Temple Pilots. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they signed him after the... Uh, Scott Weiland. Yeah, after Scott Weiland passed away. I, they haven't really done much. Yeah. I don't think it went anywhere. But, uh, I mean, mad props to him yeah. for even having the courage to, you know, go on audition in front of the arguably one of the SDG. best grunge bands that's ever come out. Like, right. I I love Stone Temple Pilots so do music. I. And it, it, it was one of those things where I thought, man, I should have just, you know, balled up and gave it a shot Dude. just for shits and giggles. I've covered Stone Temple Pilots tunes a bunch. Like I've I've sang sex type thing, um, that one that we played acoustically, me and Chaston. Oh, and I can't um, remember the name of it now. The one, how's it go? Ah, oh, what is the name yeah. of that fucking? It's song? it's like their most popular it's song. It's not plush. No, and I sing plush a bunch. Actually, I can I can do pretty good on plush. My favorite version of that song is the acoustic version. Yeah, that is a. You've great heard that version. version? That I, I love that version of that song. Yeah. Um, what the hell is the name of that fucking song? Yeah, we talked about it. Was on your guys' set list for. Yeah. Now I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I'm trying STP's. to do the same, but I'm not getting the cell phone signal. STP songs. Yeah, it's gonna hit me like a truck as soon as you yep. say it. Interstate yeah. love song. God, yeah. Jesus Christ, are we that bad? <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty sad. One shot of whiskey. I <laughs> can't even remember that. No, I would definitely say, like, as far as your singing goes, you have a great rock, like a like an STP. Um, uh, what are some good bands? Because I don't want to throw shitty bands out there. <laughs> I, I like. In terms of grunge, STP, Alice in Chains, um, I can actually, I can pretty much match um, Lane Staley, yeah. I think. Or, yeah. No, he's he's not the lead singer of that band, is he? He's a well, guitar player? No, Jerry Cantrell was the Cantrell, guitar player. yeah, thank you. Yeah, Lane Chains, Staley was the singer. Yeah, because I shared singing duties. Yeah, yeah. there there was a, like a smaller like a one night contest in Marine City that I did, and I sang um, "Man in the Box" yeah. by Alice in Chains, and I ended up winning it on that song. Like that's that's not an easy one to pull off either. Like right. it's a lot of screams. I've done Rooster a couple of times for karaoke. Yeah. That one's pretty rough. I think my problem with like introducing a song like that into like one of our set lists is we'd have to put it way up top. Yeah. Because if I if I sing that song toward the end of a set, I'm gonna suck. Yeah, your throat's yeah, my, gonna be yeah, blown. my voice would be wore out. Right. And uh, it's kind of a double edged sword because I'd want to be able to pull it off. But if we did it early, it would almost have the opposite effect. Like I I'd have to belt that song out, and then the rest of the time I'd be like half injured. Right. You know, in the throat. Right. Yeah, you got to be careful with that shit. Yeah, that's uh, I think the screaming Lydia that we do okay that one takes a lot out of me does it yeah oh yeah i bet 
I bet. Yeah, Cumbersome's not bad. Kryptonite's not bad, even though that one has a scream in it. Um, that one's got to be a little difficult for you because it's so fast. Like, I, we always uh, to say that we don't play it fast enough, but I feel like I'm racing through that fucking song. It's got a fast drum beat to mm-hmm. it, period. Um, great song. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are going to trash on Three Doors Down uh, as being like a real basic, you know, poppy kind of rock mm. man. But I think lyrically, like, Three Doors Down has some good music. Like, uh, they're not anything fantastic musically, but I right. I think the, and the, the story about the singer, like, it, it's kind of interesting because he had a huge case of stage fright. And, really? I, don't, uh, I didn't know any about Kryptonite this. was actually, I think, their second music video. They did uh, Loser first. And uh, if you watch the video for Loser, he's really um, stoic, like in the music video. Like, you like look at the camera. Yeah, he's almost boring. So in the music video for Kryptonite, there was a hypnotist in the video as an extra. And he hypnotized the lead singer of the band into thinking he was Mick Jagger. <laughs> so if you watch the video and watch his movements, he's, he's moving like he, Jagger. Yeah, he's literally pulling like a Mick Jagger on video as he's doing this. And he credits a lot of him getting over to his stage fright to this hypnotist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, I had horrible stage fright it's when i first started playing in bands and playing gigs oh for sure i had terrible stage fright it was so bad yeah i mean to the point where uh, i i kind of have a case of it after one song like even the first time i'm at a bar even that i've been to a million times and sang the same song you know a hundred times the first time i go up i will always start to sweat yeah and uh, i notice it and that's when I'm wondering if other people notice it. And then I start getting nervous and then I make it through that song and I get called up for the next one after, you know, five other people have sang a song. Right. And then I'm fine. Like the sweat doesn't come. The nerves don't come. It's just that first song. Right. And it, it's just that mental block. Like, you know, your body's going to react this way, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. The only time I get it now is if there's two reasons the first one being if I know somebody else on stage mm. isn't a hundred percent. Yeah. Like as like if you got like a little case of stage fright when you go on, just don't tell me about it. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. it'll give it to me. Yep. That or if I know I'm too fucked up to play. Sure, sure. Cause like I hit a point where like it what do they call that? The Vollmer curve or wherever where like you hit that peak. Yeah. You know, well, when we're practicing, we're always fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) So you hit that peak. But if I go anywhere past that peak, I know in my mind, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, here we go. You know what I mean? I'm too fucked up to play. And then I start getting nervous. Yeah, I'd be the same way. I'm really good about being able to limit myself, Mm -hmm. like in terms of an actual live set or even singing karaoke. Right. Like I I know if I'm going to go out and sing karaoke, I'm going to take it slow. Because if I put away five or six beers, I'm going to sound like garbage. But if I put away three or four, yep. it's going to relax me. And I'm actually probably a better singer at that I, point. I agree with that. I feel like, and this sounds terrible, especially considering the episode that I just had. <laughs> but I feel like I don't play as well when I'm stone cold sober. doesn't hmm. matter what instrument it is. Yeah. I feel like I don't play it as well if not f- like fucked up. But right, right. If I don't have a good buzz on, I'm like, I know I can play better. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> and that sounds, cause I don't need, you know, alcohol or anything else to, to be able to play. No. But I just feel like I'm not as good sober. Yeah. It, <laughs> it loosens you up in a lot of situations. Like I've, there's so many situations where you can say, you know, like after two beers, I'm better at this. Oh, absolutely. Because you lose the inhibition and you lose the, you know, fear of failure yep. is what it is. You yep. know, like if, if you've had a couple of drinks in you and it's starting to buzz you a little bit, you're not as prone to being worried about <laughs> failing. You're just having a good time. Whatever, man. Fuck it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like here, hold my beer. Yep, <laughs> like yep. that moment. But no, I I definitely don't take it to an extreme mm-hmm. when I'm in front of people. And I, I mean, it's almost like a sense of responsibility to the band because I I know playing a live set is make or break. Yep. Like if, if we had sucked when we played at Scooters, you wouldn't have the owners hitting up Chaston every two weeks to try to get us to go right. back and play. Right, exactly. It, they would just say, hey, you emptied out my bar and it ain't worth paying yep. you guys. I've I've played in that band before, and that band is not fun to play in. The mm. band where everybody's just fucked up all the time. And yeah, I've been in that band. That band is not fun. It's fun at first when the, when the party starts. Yeah, that's a fun band to be in. Oh yeah, but when the party starts coming to an end, that is not a fun band to be in. No, you know, it's it's tough enough, you know, setting up and breaking down mm-hmm. to do it hammered drunk, carrying right. fucking speakers and amps and guitars. Like, I, I don't know about you, but when I carry my guitar, I carry it like a freaking baby. So do I. Yeah. I. My guitar, my electric guitar, my acoustic guitar is a piece of shit, so I don't really care about it. <laughs> but my electric guitar sits in its case in my bedroom closet. If I'm not playing yeah. it, it's in its case in my bedroom closet. Yeah, mine's in you the know. case underneath of the bed. I treat my... <laughs> This sounds terrible because I'm very careful about my shotguns and stuff. Yeah. I treat my guitar better than I treat my shotguns. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like I, that thing is my fucking baby. Well, I mean, it, it takes a lot to take care of an instrument. Like uh, a lot of people neglect instruments. Right. And they, they degrade yep. over time. Like if I didn't clean off the fretboard of mine, then I'm, I'm guilty of doing stupid stuff like, you know, eating pizza and then picking up a guitar. <laughs> like I, I don't really think about it. I just. <laughs> Yeah, I had a couple of beers and I'm sitting at home and I just want to strum a couple of chords, but I'm getting grease all over the freaking fretboard. Right. And it builds up. It's yes, gross. It like, I used I used to play with a guy who because I used to do that shit, too. Mm-hmm. Back when when I first started playing, I used to. It's funny, dude. It's not like this guy was like 10 years. No, he was my age. We were friends. Right. He yeah. was the drummer in the band. He used to fucking scream at me. Uh, go wash your fucking hands before you touch that. It's my fucking guitar, by the way, <laughs> go wash your fucking hands before you touch that guitar. You've been eating. You've been, you know, yeah. got your hands in the dirt. It's like, fuck you, bro. Right. <laughs> so I forget what episode it is now, but in one of Todd's episodes, he, and I want your opinion on this because I think this is interesting. Mm-hmm. He makes the point about how people who have never been on stage, there's an experience that you get from being on stage performing. Mm -hmm. I think, have you ever seen the movie Almost Famous? Yeah. You know, when they're talking about the buzz? Yeah. It's the buzz, that feeling you get when you're on stage. Oh, definitely. And he, I think he says like something like he feels bad for people who don't know 
yeah. what that's like. Do you, you you know what I'm talking about? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's the it's the rush you get like when you're when you're up there. It's like the combination of the nerves and you know the the playing to the crowd and seeing people's reaction to what you're doing. Yeah. Like if if you're getting a good reaction, it feeds into what you're doing and it almost makes you better on stage. Yeah. And it you know it it does get to a point where you're off in your own little world. Like when we were playing the Halloween show at Scooters, I I wasn't even looking at the crowd ninety percent of the time. Yeah. Like on occasion, you know, glancing up to see if we were getting a decent <laughs> reaction. But I think we played a good set and uh you know, it went well and I had a blast doing it. It's it's probably one of the most fun experiences you'll have is getting up in front of people and, you know, playing music. Yeah. It's not something that a lot of people get to do. I remember the very first time I felt the buzz. Mm. It's crazy. You know how they describe heroin like chasing a dragon? Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like the first time is the best time. And then every time after that, you're just chasing that buzz. Yeah. That's what it's like. That's what it's been like for me on stage. Hmm. The first time I ever felt the buzz was when we played the Battle of the Bands at Clutch Cargos. Okay. And I don't know how many people were there, but that room was packed. Nice. You've been to Clutch Cargos. Okay. Yeah. You remember how... Clutch Cargos, for anybody who doesn't know, was an old church in, was it Pontiac? I, think I don't so, fucking yeah. remember where recall. Clutch Cargos was at, but it was an old church and it was a bi-level church. So up top they had a stage and then on the bottom level they had a, like in the basement, they had a stage and a bar and everything set up. The band that I was in, we played in the basement. So yeah. you had more of the intimate like bar feel oh, or sure. like club, like jazz club feel almost. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Cause like small venue. Close right. Up. And they had like the colored carpets and <laughs> shit. But I remember being up on that stage and it was really, it was, it was the first real gig I played. Yeah. You know, and I was nervous as shit and I couldn't <laughs> hear anything because the sound guy sucked uh, and I, I had no experience with stage monitors, mm-hmm. but I remember getting off that stage and I was seriously like shaking yeah, and oh, not yeah. like a shake out of fear, no. but like I just couldn't control my body. Yeah, it's that adrenaline <laughs> like, rush. Right, Ricky Bobby, I don't know what to do with my hands <laughs> right now. That's exactly how I felt, dude. And it, Ever since then, I've been chasing that, you yeah. know. <laughs> it's it's hard to duplicate for sure. I mean, I I could equate it to, like, the first time, you know, getting off the bus at basic training. Like, just that overwhelming feeling of, like, high energy, high anxiety. Mm-hmm. But you got to push through. Yep. And once you push through and you find that, like, little sweet spot where you get into the groove, everything's just you know smooth sailing from there yeah that's how it works for me anyway and that's like we were talking about earlier like getting over that first song fear because as soon as i like i get that buzz during the first song mm-hmm. and then i think gradually through the night like it kind of builds 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 and then it generally like fades off toward the end right because all the energy in the room is starting to get a little bit slower everybody's getting ready to pack up and go and it, that's like to me as a musician like it's hard to get off stage when you know everybody just wants to stay and hear you play. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you have a certain deadline 
and it ba- bands are guilty of it all the time. Like Coheed and Cambria, when they played their uh, Never Ender set, they played like six and a half hours. <laughs> and uh, it was to the point where the owners of the place they were playing was like, look, guys, you got to pack it up. Yeah, shut the fuck up. Yeah, and, and, and they were they were absolutely refusing. They're like, no, they want us to play. Like they are still having a great time and we're having a great time. So we're going to play a couple more songs. Right. And uh, it had to get to the point where, you know, people were either leaving or falling asleep right. <laughs> before they would break down. I've, I've never played a six hour gig, but I've definitely played shows where at the end it was like, I don't want to get off stage. I want to keep going. Yeah. You know? I think toward the end of the Halloween show, when we played, we kind of felt like the room was starting to get a little bit on the emptier side. And it, that's when I remember we skipped like probably what three or four songs at the yeah. end of the set list. So I think that's part of being <laughs> a good band actually is knowing when to stop. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because nobody likes the group that just stands on stage and just blasts music and everybody no. fucking hates them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at a certain point, you know when it's time to shut down. Yep. And another thing about being a good band, too, I think, is volume control. Big time. I was yeah. extremely guilty about that in my early days as a guitar player. Yeah, turning it up to 11. Oh, yeah. I wanted yeah. to play at 11 all the time. Yeah. And in my early days as a drummer, I was a very, very hard hitter. Yeah. You know, I'm still a little bit of a hard hitter, but... Nah, I mean, you... I'd say you're you're pretty on level with where we keep yeah. you know, levels of, uh, you know, the other instruments and the vocals. Um, if anything, I, I would say we could attribute it to Matt, um, you know, dialing in the board. He's he's actually pretty good at he's, it. No, he's good. Yeah, he's he's very good at being able to establish a proper volume level, because to me, there's nothing more annoying than going to see a band play. And they sound and, like shit. Yeah, and it's it's not even if they're good, and that the volume is just at that level where you have to scream just to you know express to somebody else that you think the band is good. I don't even want to say it. Right. Like I, I just want to like find a way to lower the volume. Like I'd want to go up to their board and just turn the master down just yep. a touch and be like, "Look, guys, I can't even hear myself think. Like you're you're playing well." But the level that you're at right now is just way too high for right. the room that you're in. And that's a failure to judge the energy of the crowd, too. Yep. Like, if I were up on stage and I saw a bunch of people, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs, I I would look at Matt and be like, hey, man, we got to turn the level down. Yep. Like, these people are going to get annoyed after, like, three songs of this. Nobody yep. wants to sit at a bar and not be able to talk to each other. Yep. Like, regardless of a jukebox or karaoke or music playing. Mm-hmm. Like, there has to be that happy medium where, yeah, you're loud and you're the center of the room, but you can't overpower everything else right. in the room. We were, we were kind of guilty of that in the beginning, but... Uh, no, actually... Matt has gotten very good with the sound. I've gotten to the point now where like if I'm working on a personal song mm-hmm. and I'm mixing it, when I do that stuff, I have to do it in sections. Sure. Because I hit a point where everything sounds the same. Yeah. And it just sounds like I'm listening to liquid goo. Right. You know what I mean? Like it so I'll actually <laughs> like if I'm mixing a track and I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. I'll mix it down and send the file to Matt and be like, Hey Matt, listen to this and tell me what you think. Yeah. Are the drums too loud? Is the guitar too, you know what I mean? Sure. I will actually, Matt's one of the first people that I send that to. Cause I'm like, yeah, I don't blame you. you I, I think he's got a good ear for it. Um, 
it's it's one of those things that's really hard to master too. You have to have a good ear for it because yeah, as a as a guitar player, a guy that doesn't play drums, I like songs where the guitar is kind of overpowering. Right. You know, but that's not what you want to do on a track. You have to have that balance or it's right. just going to sound like you said, like a bunch of noise. <laughs> yeah, it hits a point where it's just like a droning. Like I, I almost can't even pick out the individual melodies anymore. Yeah, it just sounds like a drone. Yeah, you that's know? not how music's supposed to be. Right. And it's be, well, what that is, though, is that's because... It's like being at band practice, but with yeah. headphones on by myself. Right. Where I'm listening to a 10 second chunk of a song a hundred times because I can't <laughs> tell if yeah. the fucking hi hat is too loud. You right. know what I mean? It drives me bonkers, man. Well, that's, I give a lot of credit to drummers because you guys, I mean, to control volume, you have to control the strength that you're hitting. But you have to be able to carry the rhythm, too. Yep. So, and naturally, if you're playing a faster song, you're going to want to hit harder because yep. it's how you keep up. Like, you're you're going to move faster, which is going to cause more kinetic force right. and a louder drum hit. So, uh, in certain songs, like, in terms of speed, I, I'd almost argue that when we play live, if we're playing something fast, we might want to tone up the vocals and the guitar because yeah. naturally, as a drummer, you're going to hit harder. That's a good point. Most... Most of my problem, dude, music, playing music for me really is like a drug. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. My whole problem with that is technique wise, like if I'm just sitting there playing and practicing, I have all the control I will ever need for what I do. Sure. You know, I'll never be Danny Carey, obviously. Yeah. But if you need a pocket drummer, one, two, three, four, I'm your guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when we're playing and I, I get all worked up and excited and I'm like, right. I'm sure you've, I mean, you've seen me at practice when yeah. we finish songs, I'm doing huge rolls and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And right. I just get so fucking wound up that yeah, I can't help about it. it. Yeah. It's, it's good that I am the drummer. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you'd have good presence as a lead singer, though. I mean, you'd be able to get the crowd into it for sure. That's I think, like, part of part of my biggest problem on a stage is that I'm not really high energy. Like, I, I, I move here and there. I'll move the mic. Yeah, I, I don't make, like, a huge show of it. I would right. rather carry a song with actually being able to sing well than you know making an alice cooper thing out of it <laughs> like that's to me like if you're gonna do a show like that that's great if that's your thing I, that's that's really cool there are some people that musically like you could argue alice cooper is probably not the greatest singer in the world oh god no but the guy puts on <laughs> such a show like look at bands like kiss like uh, personally, I think their riffs are pretty generic. Yeah, the, Kiss sucks. Yeah, the I, I'm sorry, Kiss sucks. They're not <laughs> the most you know technical band. They're not the best musicians, but man, could they put on a freaking oh, show sure. on stage? Sure, and it it carried them you know all the way probably to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I would agree with that statement 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I'm not a Kiss fan. I always thought it was just so goddamn cheesy. And it like is. you said, their music is 
generic. Yeah. I mean, that was that was their gimmick. Yeah. You and know, you know what? Gene Simmons made a pile of fucking money oh, off of yeah. that gimmick, too. So you yep. can't hate on him for that. No. Uh-uh. You know? Yeah, you can respect the guy as an artist, even if you don't respect him as a musician. Right. Because what he did was art. Oh, the stage yeah. the stage show was art. It was amazing what they, you know, managed to put together, you know, for middle-aged dude and weird <laughs> stage makeup and, yeah. you know, crazy outfits playing this... Like songs like Detroit Rock City, right? Like they play the the generic pump you up rock, right? And it, it you could almost equate it to you know like a Nickelback now, where <laughs> you know they're, they're just they're playing bar rock, but they made such a show of it mm-hmm. that it propelled them to the top of the charts. Like yeah. everybody was so fascinated with who they were that they forgot that the music wasn't really all that great. Right. I don't, when it comes to Nickelback, I don't hate on Chad Kroger for the, for, for the money he made. Mm -mm. Can't be mad at him. I don't, I don't even necessarily hate on him for his mostly, honestly, mostly I hate on Nickelback because it's funny. Yeah. But their music just doesn't interest me at all. No, you know what I mean? It just, it's again, it's generic. The Leader of Men was the first song I heard by them. And I thought lyrically that was kind of an interesting tune. And I was like, man, you know, I'll give these guys a look. And then I started giving their music a look and I was like, man, they're way more like generic mainstream rock than I thought they would be. Yeah, they're just poppy rock. Yeah, like you you heard Leader of Men and you hear this weird toned acoustic guitar, you know, intro and... Yeah, he's he's got lyrical content that's kind of deep. And then all of a sudden they, you know, switch over to like, I want to be a rock star. Right. And it's like, you really didn't seem like you wanted to be a rock star like 10 minutes ago. Like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, uh, did, you wrote one song about not wanting to be a rock star and then all yeah. of a sudden you changed your mind. And, uh, you know, I'll even, in terms of mainstream rock bands, one of them that I will admit, and it's probably going to be one of those controversial bands to say because everybody seems to love them. But I, I kind of get down on newer shine down because I feel like they almost sold out in a way. Well, they got clean. Yeah. You, I mean, <laughs> you, you heard these songs like 45 and save me and, uh, Bird and Bright, like they were Bird all these, my favorite like, shine down. Song. Yeah, same. I I love that song. Uh, they have a lot of great music, but then all of a sudden it was like sometimes goodbye as a second chance, and you know we're we're all happy now. It's like well, but I liked you guys better when you were depressed. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm just being honest, your yeah, music was better. Honest. Yeah, like same thing with like Stained. Yeah, like I actually when the first when the first album by Stained came out, uh, and I heard Mud Shovel. I was like, man, these guys are, you know, something different. Like, I actually really enjoyed their music. And then they did the same thing. Like, they, mm-hmm. it was the right here waiting song that yep. turned me off of them. I'm like, oh, all of a sudden we're singing ballads to your ex-girlfriend. Yep. Like, come on, man. I remember when 14 Shades of Grey came out. This yeah. album yep. by Stained. Uh, did you ever listen to... I don't know if you guys get it out there by you, Mm. but the station out of Flint, the banana. Mm, I can't say I've heard it. They had these two guys on in the afternoon. I forget what the hell their show was. What it was their names, but I forget what their names were, Mm -hmm. but it was like an afternoon version of Drew and Mike on the banana. Okay. okay. But it was younger. It was more like, um, Dave and Chuck. Gotcha. Okay. 
and they were on the banana. And I'll never forget what this guy said. He was pissed when that album came out. And his biggest complaint was that all the songs sounded the same. Yeah. (laughs) And he goes, and he said this live on the air and I'm pretty sure he got in the deep shit for a lot of trouble. Yeah. But he goes, which is hilarious now because we're podcasting and we can say (laughs) this, but he goes, I hate that album. He should have called it 14 Shades of the Same Fucking Song. I remember I was driving home from work or something. You know, maybe I might have been driving home from school because I think that was back when we were in high school. Yeah. And I'm driving. I'm like 16. I burst out laughing to the point where I almost crashed my car, dude. Because he was just live on air. 14 Shades of the Same Fucking Song. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, ah! Man's not wrong. <laughs> Yeah, that was great, man. But yeah, yeah but, he he wasn't wrong. It was 14 shades of the same fucking song. Yeah, that was why I never got into um, Rise Against. Rise Against is another one of those controversial bands. I didn't like, like that band. That one I, song yeah. they had, Swing Life Away or whatever. Yeah. Was that them? Yeah. I heard that song and I was like, nope, this band's not for me. No, and it, if you listen to their harder stuff, it all sounds the same. Oh, yeah. it's the same chuggy guitar riff, the same, you know, uh, the same chorus, the same verse riffs. Everything is the same. Same right. key, same tone, same rhythm, same timing. And it's like, man, could like I get it. You guys are trying to capitalize on right. you know, the one song that everybody loved. But you might want to start doing some original stuff before you get the Nickelback label. Right. Because that's exactly what happens to bands like that. Yep. Like, if you just go with that one generic, you know, go-to kind of style. Right. You're going to eventually lose everybody that listens to you. Right. Like, being being versatile as an artist nowadays is probably more... That's the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, you, you got guys, like, in you know, in popular music, even like country music, that uh, it's to the point where I won't even turn on country music on the radio anymore. Right. And I find myself more gravitated toward guys like Cody Jinks and uh, Tyler Childers. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of them, but that outlaw country feel, like yeah. it brings me back to the old school country music that I actually enjoyed. Right. Like Brooks and Dunn and... Well, because it's you not know, George Strait pig shit. Yeah, exactly. It's you not know? just music for the radio. And you know? uh, if you listen to the lyrical content of a guy like Tyler Childers, I mean, he tells a story with every song he sings. And it, it blows my mind that he's not on the radio. Right. Like, you never hear Tyler Childers on the radio. He wrote one of my fa- all-time favorite lines. Hmm. I One thing that I am a huge fan of, like... For music, it makes or breaks it for me is lyrical content. Same. I pay very close attention to lyrical content. Mm. I, I lead singers or whoever wrote the lyrics, if it's good. Yeah. I'm a fan of certain lyricists that I almost revere them like how the great poets are revered. Yeah, sure. So so uh, going the long way, I'm a big fan of lyrics, but mm. he wrote one of my all-time favorite lyrics because when you hear it, you f- if you get what he's saying, yeah. you fucking feel it. Right. The line from um the hell's the name of that fucking song? <laughs> oh, what the hell's the name of that song? His his real big one. Oh, White House Road. White House Road. Yeah. Where he says, get me higher than the grocery bill. Yeah. 
If you understand what he's talking about, man, that line hits you right in the feels. Yep. He's not bullshitting, dude. No, he knows what it's, you know, that's somebody who knows what it's like to pay five fucking dollars for a gallon of milk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He comes off as just your average run of the mill guy that, you know, happens to be musically talented, but he sees, he sees things on on a higher level. Right. And he's able to put that down on paper and he's, to his credit, I am not the best guitar player in the world, but he's got great riffs. He plays to his own strengths, you know, being able to play the way that he does. Mm-hmm. And it it comes from, you can tell it comes from inside. Like, he doesn't write music for the crowd. Yeah, it's he, real. Yeah, exactly. And I, that's another thing with, like, Cody Jinx. You know, he's got um, that song, uh, Hippies and Cowboys. And uh, the whole song is basically about him, you know, loving being around normal people like he he has a lyric in that song um i've never had a lot of friends and i'm all right by that but people keep on coming back (laughs) he's like he's basically just throwing shade at these people you know saying like yeah i never made mainstream country music but i've got a bigger following than 90 percent of the stuff on the radio yeah so you know he likes Said, uh, what was the one line? I like two dollar, two dollar beers and three dollar wells and some old honky tonk bar that I know by the smell. <laughs> I'm like this guy. Like I can, I can relate to this guy. Yep. I love a good dive bar. Yeah, it's one of my favorite places. I hate going to clubs like loud, annoying, you know, music. That's it's never been my scene. I would rather be in at bar. some bar that you know it's run down and beat down and drinks are cheap <laughs> like why why would you not love that right but a lot of people don't that's why you'll never see a guy like that make the mainstream mm-hmm. but to his credit i i think guys like that are you know one in a million now yes it's hard to find yeah yeah that's that's like I said, I uh, lyrical content makes it or breaks it for me. Yep. If I don't dig your lyrics, I'm not. Yeah, I mean the the music could be absolute trash, but if you've got good lyrics, I'll mm. give it a chance. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, that was um, uh, like another band that never really hit the mainstream, like Coheed and Cambria. Uh, I was always a big fan of those guys because of the lyrical content. Mm-hmm. They're fabulous musicians too. Um, you know, Claudio is probably one of the most talented guitar players that's out there right now, in my opinion. But uh, lyrical content-wise, they actually write 90% of the music based off a series of comic books that Claudio has written. And uh, all the songs that you hear, he's saying all these names, and you're like, well, who is that? And if you actually look into it, it follows the story of a character in one of his comic books. Okay. Yeah, it's really interesting if you get into it. And he's a a really talented artist, too. He draws all the album covers. Uh, He does all his own illustrations in the comic books. Right. He's... I know he's it's the very cliche complaint about him, but his voice, I just yeah. can't, I just can't do oh, it. It's yeah. so and high. And it's funny to see him on stage because the guy's like six foot one, like pushing 200 pounds. You and can't even sings. see his face through his mop of hair. Right. Like you would expect some deep growl, like <laughs> angry voice from him. And you get what sounds like almost like a female lead vocal. Dude, he, he sounds like he's 12 octaves past falsetto. Yeah, he's, he's got a nasty range. That's why when we talked about about uh you know covering welcome home 
I was like, man, how, who the hell is going to bite the bullet and sing that song? I don't song? think any any one of us could even I can't, come I can't close. hit that range. And I I've, can't hit that. I've listened to that song and tried to sing in the car probably a million times. And I know that <laughs> if I were to do that on stage, it would not get a good response. Right. Matt, maybe. Matt, yeah. see, that's the thing. Matt has, I don't think Matt actually has the range for that song, but the pitch of Matt's voice, yeah. if he goes into like a falsetto mm-hmm. where he's not actually singing, yeah. it's, it's that falsetto voice, mm-hmm. I, but it would destroy his throat oh, to, absolutely. Do, uh, to do a five minute song in falsetto. Shoot, welcome Holmes. Seven and a half yeah, minutes long. Like two I mean, and a half minutes of that is guitar solo. Yeah. True. <laughs> but to have to sing for five minutes in, in, I'm pretty sure his Adam's apple would blow out of his throat if he tried oh, that. Oh, yeah. Same thing would happen to me. I, there's no way I could pull that off. Mm-hmm. There's certain Coheed songs that I can sing. Because if you if you look up a lot of his earlier stuff, they, they go in standard tuning. But that album that Welcome Home is on actually is uh, half step down. Yeah. Because he realized he was blowing out his voice. And they play all of their live shows a half step down. And I actually covered uh, Favor House Atlantic on Facebook. And because it was a half step down, I was able to sing and play at the same time. So if, if we were to take like that tune and cover it, I'd probably be fine. Right. But we would have to do it a half step down. The original recording is an E. Standard concert pitch. Yep. Yeah. And I, I can't touch it in standard, but a half step down, I can match them. Yeah. I'm not a singer. I'm, I, I honestly sound like a dying cat when I sing. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I'm going to go ahead and say that's not true. Oh, God. It, you sent us that video of you playing, wasn't it White House Road? It might have been. Yeah, and you were singing to it. And we were all, I remember, like, extremely impressed by the vocal work on it. Oh, well. Yeah, I, rem- I remember saying, because you, I said that in the group chat, I was like, hey, man, you were a really good singer. And you were like, you know, coming from a guy that actually sings, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> it is, man. <laughs> Thank you. No, I... I I hate, most people do, most people do, but I hate the sound of my voice. Really? It's gotten easier. Like, actually, one of the benefits of the podcast is I hear myself talk all the time. Sure. You know, so my voice doesn't bother me as much anymore. Mm -hmm. But, like, I I feel like I sound like straight up Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Michigan thing. Yeah. Because, and it's funny how you adapt, like, two different areas that you're in. Like, when I was in the military, they stationed me in Louisiana. Yeah. And when I got out of Louisiana, I moved to Colorado and I worked at a call center for Time Warner Cable. Okay. And all the time, I would have customers on the line. They'd be like, are you from, like, the South or something? I'm like, no, I spent a few years in Louisiana and I kind of had to adopt the accent. I'm actually from Michigan. They're like, well, shouldn't you sound like you're from Canada then or something? I'm like, yeah, you would think so, but no. And, and don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with sounding like a Canadian. Right. But I don't even know if I can do it. I feel like I feel like I sound like this. <laughs> really? You know amazingly. what I mean? Like when, yeah, when I... When I hear myself talk, I feel like I sound like that. And it's just like, oh, God, just close that hole in your face. (laughs) I always, like, in terms of hearing my own voice when I sing, I feel like I'm actually a lot more uh, baritone than I think I am. Yeah. Like, I don't think I have that deep of a voice. But I've, I've been told a few times, like, you don't, like, match your voice at all like you have a voice of a guy who's like twice your size 
Like, I know I'm not on camera, but I'm five foot eight and I weigh 170 pounds. Right. Like, I, I'm not a big guy by any means, but apparently I have that projection and that bass in my voice that makes people assume I would be like a larger statured dude. And I, it comes out on the mic when I sing, too. I uh, I almost have to, like, force myself to be able to go into a higher range and almost sing through my nose a little. Yeah. Like when we do certain songs. And uh, I think the one that that probably would describe it best on our set list is Bad Girlfriend by Theory of a Dead oh, Man. Oh, God. Yeah, that one, I, I have a lot of trouble hitting that kind of range because he's right in between, like, a, a rock growl and an 80s hair metal guy at certain points. <laughs> yeah. And I, I can't hit that 80s hair metal range. No, it's dude. Just, it's that's not, a hard range to hit to begin with. Yeah, I I can respect anybody that covers that kind of you know music, but I'm not a huge fan of the '80s hair metal. Um, my '80s taste is you know the harder, harder metal, right. Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, you the know, cool metal. Yeah, early on Pantera, the real hard, heavy guitars, right. the double bass. If you if you put poison on the jukebox, I roll my eyes like I'm that guy. I've seen a couple of bands cover tunes like that, and it's almost like that's all they can do. Yeah. Like if if you can hit that range that to me, it feels like that's the only range you have. Like you you don't have a bass octave. Right. All you have is straight falsetto, you know, screaming into a mic all the time. Yeah, you're more the you're you're more into the treble and the uh what do they call it? Um I forget now, but yeah, you're in the higher range. Yeah, it's like it's almost like a soprano type of thing. Right. Like I, I know it's not that high, but it it's what what do I want to say? Like an alto range, almost. Yeah. Like I always I always look at tones in terms of saxophones. That's how I learned like the difference between a baritone, an alto, and a treble. You know, saxophone. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because okay. a a standard sax is alto, and uh, then alto saxophone is like right in between. Or no, I'm sorry. The regular saxophone is uh, between the alto, which is on the high range, and it's a lot smaller. Yep. And then you got the baritone sax that's like freaking huge. Yep. And um, to the point where like some guys are playing it with it sitting on the floor. <laughs> and I I realized real quick, like you almost attributed, like I was saying earlier, the bigger the instrument, the deeper the yep. tone that you yep. get out of it. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean... I'll always be a diehard metalhead. <laughs> I love my outlaw country and, you know, a couple of little heartbreak country tunes here and there, but sure. yeah, you know, put me on ride the lightning or master of puppets any day of the week. I would love to cover Metallica in the band. That's uh it's a tough one, especially drum wise. As much as I like to throw shade at Lars. Yeah. Lars is actually kind of, He's he's talented for he's, what he is. He's kind of hard to cover because he's so Lars yeah. and he does weird shit. He's very unique. Yeah, 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 exactly. A lot of cymbal crash and catch, a lot of weird, you know, bass work in there. Yeah. Uh, the fills that he had were really unique for the time for a metal band. But the it, it for me, it was always the guitar work. Like it, I know... Kirk Hammett toward the end of his career, you know, every solo was nothing but a wah pedal. But if you listen to, you know, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, basically anything Cliff Burton, uh, Cliff Burton wrote for the band, 
their original bassist. Yeah, it was his story amazingly intricate. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Pulling, uh, it was on behind the music. I think way back in the day on VH1, mm-hmm. and they described that incident with the tour bus, yeah. and it was him and Kirk Hammett fighting over a bunk in the bus. Yeah, and they cut cards, and Cliff Burton cut to the Ace of Spades to get the bunk that he had and he wound up being the one that got ejected and then crushed mm-hmm. so yeah that that was a sad day if there's if there's one guy i can turn on and just listen to him play like his you know regular solo stuff it's cliff burden yeah cliff cliff burden to me if he were still alive today metallica would probably still be the biggest metal band ever period yeah. When, uh, when Cliff Burton went away, you see a real turn in the musical direction that Metallica saw. Yeah, that's when they went more mainstream. Yeah, yeah. it was it was after Master of Puppets because they were on the Injustice for All tour when uh, when that crash happened. And then the Black Album came out and the Black Album is regarded as like their best album. But it's only because it hit the charts harder than any other album. That was one question I was going to actually ask you as a diehard Metallica fan. Yeah. Are you pro or against the Black Album? Because that's yeah. in Metallica fandom, the Black Album is the line. It is. Yeah. That is the line of either Metallica sucks now yeah. or how do I describe it? That's when all the mainstream fans started coming in. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? It was they after, weren't there for the for the early days. No, it was after Enter Sandman. Enter Sandman came out, and it was you know the biggest song on the charts for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I mean, in terms of being a diehard Metallica fan, there are I'd say about half the songs on the Black Album I enjoy. And they're the ones that never really hit the mainstream as hard as Enter Sandman did. I'm not a huge fan of Sad But True, Enter Sandman, Nothing Else Matters. I'm a bigger fan of of Wolf and Man, uh, My Friend Misery, uh, Wherever I May Roam, I thought was probably the best song on that album. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but I love that song. That's that's one of those, if I pick up a guitar, that's one of the first riffs I go to is Wherever I May Roam. Fun to play. Uh, not as hard as you would think it, it right. is. But uh, I, in terms of their best work, absolutely everything before the Black Album. Right. When the when Load came out, that was it for me. I was like, nah, that's, that's a little bit too poppy. You guys are going in a whole different direction. Right. That's when Kirk Hammett was, you know... Probably going through three wah pedals of set. Was <laughs> Just like, Come blowing them out, really? trying to be Slash. <laughs> yeah. There's a pretty funny uh, meme that a buddy of mine sent me because he knows I'm a big Metallica fan. And it was Kirk Hammett, like, busting into a bedroom like a drunk stepdad. And there's a wah pedal in the corner crying. And Kirk Hammett's got a text bubble, and he's like, it's time to solo, bitch. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. It was pretty funny, though. Coming from, see, I'm a fair weather Metallica fan, sure. I guess, if you want to word it any certain way. Yeah. So, like, I'm not attached to their early stuff, and I don't really care for their older, you know. Yeah. I'm just, they got a couple good songs. Sure. But for me, I I admire the Black Album because I think it showed growth in their musicianship. Yeah, absolutely. People, you could say that, yes, that's when they went mainstream, but I also think they may have learned 
Oof. I got I got to be careful here because I don't want to offend people who are Metallica fans. <laughs> there's a lot of them. And there's there's a fucking army of those yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah, we're diehards. We really are. From somebody who enjoys writing music, mm. I feel like that is when they gained more of an appreciation for the art of melody. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Their songs became more melodic. Yeah. Yes, they became more poppy and mainstream. I'll give you that all day long. Mm. But the melodies are more sustained and thought out sure. than as opposed to, say, the garage band days. Yeah. yeah. Like If you look at an album like Kill Em All, it was just, we're going to play as hard and fast right. as possible. Right. And then Ride the Lightning came out, and that's when uh, Cliff Burton had a bigger hand in the music. And if you listen to a song like Fade to Black, and you listen to the melodies and the harmonies in that song, it is very intricate. Right. Um, Cliff Burton, I think, was credited for writing almost 80% of Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. Really? Yeah. And if uh, the one that always stood out to me was Battery, because a lot of people know Battery is that hard, fast, driving song. But if you listen to the intro, there's actually an acoustic part in the very beginning of that tune. And it layers four acoustic guitars on top of a bass. Yeah. And I mean, it it's a ton of fun to play. Like, there were a couple of guys in the uh, barracks that played guitar. I taught them all one part of that. And when we played it together, it sounded, it sounded badass. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. one of my favorite things about recording music is when you start layering the instruments. Yeah, absolutely. Because oh, you can... One thing I've noticed with some of the stuff that I've written is that when you start layering instruments, mm -hmm. you start getting melodies that will randomly pop out that you didn't expect or plan. Sure. That sound awesome. Yeah, absolutely. There's parts, there's little things in like the song that I released in the last episode that I released a song. Yeah. There's little things in the guitar riff. Mm hmm. Or it sounds like it's part of the guitar riff. Yeah. But it's not. So, like, if I were to play the guitar riff to that song, it might actually sound slightly different. Sure. But it's the way all of the instruments melted together yeah. that make it sound that way. Oh, yeah. That is one of my favorite fucking things about that shit. Yeah, when it all comes together <laughs> and you actually created a song. Right. Like it's, it's no longer just a riff. It's no longer just the lyrics. It's right. a whole song. Like that's uh, it's something that takes a lot of time and creativity to be able to, you know, actually achieve because you've got certain songs out there that uh, like there's certain songs I listen to just because of the guitar. Right. The lyrics suck. There's no bass. <laughs> the drummer's just racking a double bass and, you know, slapping everything. But uh, the guitar riff stands out so much that I still enjoy it. But there are certain songs that I would prefer to listen to that are, like you said, an amalgamation of, you know, different tones, different instruments, different harmonies. And it just it all comes together in a way that you wouldn't expect it to. Mm -hmm. And it, it hits you like a truck when that happens. Yep. You're like, that's that's it. That is the song. Yeah, I love that shit, man. Yeah. So we were talking about controversial music opinions earlier and it made me think mm. i've got a couple of controversial music opinions and people get pissed when i say them <laughs> would you like to hear them which which band oh there's well there's a couple 
The first one, and I feel like this one's the most offensive one to people, and mm. I really, truly don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to fucking say it. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix is overrated. Ooh. <laughs> Man. That's a, that's a big opinion. Those are fighting words. That's I'm well people. aware of, for some people, those are fighting words. Jimi Hendrix is overrated. See, I'll I'll agree with you on that to an extent, only because I was never into like the psychedelic uh, rock. It it never really did anything for me. Um, I I can appreciate the man for his you know guitar work. I think he was unique. I don't think he's one of the top ten guitarists of all time. Right. I don't think he's top five like most people would say. Right. I I would rather I'd take BB King over Jimi Hendrix. Same. I, I Agreed. would take Joe Satriani over Jimi Hendrix, somebody who just focused on a guitar. Right. Yeah, I mean it as a vocalist he wasn't bad. But as a guitar player, was he above average? Yes. Was he as good as everybody thought he was? I don't think so. I, I would attribute it a lot to the the time that he was able to play in. Right. He he was like, take a guy like in the NHL. Uh, I mean, you probably got a couple of people, you know, Canadian that'll realize what I'm saying. Like you got Wayne Gretzky, who's at the top of the scoring for all time. Right. I, I can't remember the amount of goals he scored, but he scored them in the like late eighties to early nineties when goalies hadn't figured out how to actually play their position effectively. Like if you look at NHL goaltenders now, they're very hard to score on back in the eighties and nineties. They weren't that hard to score. Right. on. The, the top tier talent was not there. Like you had a bunch of guys that were big bruising dudes in the NHL that didn't really have raw talent. And it made Wayne Gretzky stand out because he had that and he focused on it. So he was able to become the player that he was. Right. But if you were to put him in the NHL now, I don't think he would be a top goal scorer. Right. And that's a fair point. You can't really compare Jimi Hendrix to say somebody who's really like, what's the best example? Okay. We were talking about Claudio Sanchez. Claudio Sanchez is a phenomenal guitar player. Yeah. It's not really fair to compare Jimi Hendrix to Claudio Sanchez. No, but here's my reasoning on why I say that Jimi Hendrix is overrated Mm -hmm. from a guitar playing standpoint. Yeah. He was great. Sure. I think I don't like his live performances because he was fucking stoned. Yeah. So he was sloppy and he sucked. Yeah. You know, but on on record, as a guitar player, he was great. Yeah. But I don't think, in my opinion, that he was a very good songwriter. No, yeah, I'll you know agree what with I that. Mean? He, and I think his fans actually, this is controversial as fuck. <laughs> his fans actually do a little bit of a disservice to him. Yeah. In that regard, because they focus more on his guitar playing than, say, his artistic ability as a songwriter. Sure. You know, you can play all the fancy schmancy riffs you want, but if your song is shit, your song is shit. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Jimi Hendrix's songs are shit. He's he, He's got good songs. Yeah. But 
I think the ratio of his guitar playing ability to his songwriting ability. Yeah, it's aren't, it's balance. they're not. Yeah, they're not in balance. And actually, here's another controversial opinion, but it's related. Mm. I feel the reverse about Jimmy Page. Yeah. And Jimmy Page is one of my all time favorite guitar players. Oh, yeah. I'll preface that by saying that. I know how to play like three quarters of Led Zeppelin's catalog. <laughs> right. Okay. Jimmy Page, in my opinion, was a far better songwriter than he was an actual guitar player. Yeah, I would agree. If with you that. listen to his his solos, it's just sloppy doppy bullshit all over the fucking place. You yeah, know pretty I mean? much. I mean, yeah. that's not see, that's not being fair to him because like his solo and since I've been loving you, literally Every time I hear that song, I've heard that song a million times right. and it's still there's one part in that solo where I, when he hits that note, my spine tingles. Yeah. Every time. Yep. You know, he had a I think he had a real sense of timing in his guitar playing. I think he was unique for the time, which probably propelled Led Zeppelin a lot oh, higher. Yeah. And uh, I mean, in terms of Robert playing the voice, um, you know, absolutely one of a kind until Greta Van Fleet apparently but uh I I would agree that you know Led Zeppelin in terms of songwriters I don't think you'll ever find a band that will write songs lyrically like Led Zeppelin did ever again their lyrical content was absolutely one of a kind it always will be Mm -hmm. like I I don't think anybody will ever come close to that and I'm not, I'm not even a huge fan of Led Zeppelin. Oh, God, I love Led Zeppelin. Yeah, a oh, great God. band. I just, <laughs> I I know a lot of their songs and, you know, I could, I could pick it out of a crowd, but I can't say I just sit down and listen to them. Right. No, but, I was, I was that kid, man. Just die hard. When I was like, shit, from the time I was like, I mean, I'm burned out a little bit on it now. Yeah. Like if, if I'm listening to the radio and Led Zeppelin comes on, I turn something on most of the time. That's not Led Zeppelin. Yeah. See, I'm guilty of that too. I'll hear it like on the riff and the, they tend to play a lot of Led Zeppelin and they always play the hits. It's the same one I've heard a million times and I tend to change it. Uh, it's nothing against Led Zeppelin, but just maybe, maybe it. a little overdone. I, the first time I heard a Led Zeppelin song, I was, uh, pretty enthralled by him too oh yeah but i eventually it faded yeah right. oh man like i said when i going way back to what we were talking about way earlier when we were learning how to play guitar mm-hmm. yeah i mean i was at that point in time i was a huge led zeppelin fan so i learned like every zeppelin song i could fucking learn yeah, you know, I think I would have been the same way had I grown up in that time period. Right. Like, if I had heard Led Zeppelin as opposed to any other band, I would rather learn their music. The the crunch they had, you know, the the way that the melodies moved, the tempo changes, the intricacy of even, like, the opening riffs, um, you know, really unique. Right. And I, I'd probably... If I grew up in that time frame, I would probably be, you know, a, a big Led Zeppelin guy and a huge Black Sabbath fan. Yeah. Because I'm drawn toward that heavy, distorted sound. Right. And not a lot of bands had that at the time. A lot of a lot of bands didn't even know what a gain knob did on an amp. <laughs> like it, it took a band like Black Sabbath to come in and just crank the distortion. Yep. And go, know, man, and, that sounds sweet. Right. Yeah. And or it, actually, it, it would be, that sounds sweet, bro. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, well, it wouldn't be bro. It'd be more like mate or something like yeah. that. Yeah. The UK rock 
um, you know, big influence on metal today. Oh yeah. yeah I mean, you can't argue any, any big metal band will tell you that their influences are probably Led Zeppelin Black Sabbath mm-hmm. because it, it's just the style of music that they were drawn to. And it was so unique for the time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in terms of bands, like controversial opinions, one of, I think my worst one is ACDC. <laughs> I hate ACDC. <laughs> I, I don't care what anybody says. I think it is the most generic, annoying music I've ever heard in my life. Oh, if I never had to listen to another band again, it would be ACDC. You know, I actually, I can agree with you on that one. Yeah, I just, I, I can know. agree with you on that the one. The lead singer's voice, the, like every time you walk into a guitar center and you hear the opening to um, Thunderstruck. Oh, you're Thunderstruck. Oh my God, you're like... Yeah, you learned to tap solo. I'm super impressed. It's the same riff over <laughs> yep. and over. And yeah, I learned over. that riff like two years into playing guitar. It's really not that <laughs> it's hard. Pretty easy. Yeah, like I, I always laugh when I break out a guitar and I, I'll like play the opening riff to master, and everybody's like, "Well, man, that looks like really hard." It's, it's really not. It's really not. A lot of Metallica's music is not hard to play. Like if you pick up a guitar, there are certain songs that are challenging. But, uh, I mean, in terms of difficulty level, really not that difficult to play most of the main riffs that Metallica has written over the years. You want to learn how to play something hard? Yeah. Learn how to play a Tool song. Yeah. Sounds oh, easy. Hard as fuck. Yeah. You know why? Because that guy must have the hands of a fucking gorilla. Yeah. That guy can do like seven stretches. and nine fret stretches. Yeah. I think yeah. the farthest I can get my hand to stretch is the seventh fret. Yeah. But I have zero strength in my hand. Yeah, you can't hold that yeah, hard exactly. enough to produce an action. And that note. guy's doing fucking huge no way, dude. Yeah. Well, that and his, uh, like the tone changes and the knobs as he was playing, mm-hmm. like the up and down volumes, the the weird, you know, odd pinch harmonics that were just so out of place but worked. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's one of those bands, Tool, that I think really they're they've gotten a lot of credit over the years but not as much credit as they deserve i think their lyrical content was amazing the riffs like that dark deep feel like just you felt like you were in a dark room you know by yourself (laughs) surrounded by something that was going to eat you alive like they had a really odd tone and his stage presence was so weird too like if you've ever seen maynard on stage He's creepy. Doesn't he hide behind a sheet? Sometimes, yeah. Um, There's a pretty well-known clip of him playing sober at some music festival. And, I mean, he's got this, like, dead stare into the crowd. And he's half crouched over in this weird position as he sings. I saw a YouTube video of a vocal coach that was reacting to his performance. And they're like, I can't believe that he's able to sing as well as he does in that position. Like, how, how could you even breathe? <laughs> like, his head was below his heart at certain points. And if you know anything about, you know, the way that the human body works, if you put your head below your heart, generally, if you do it long enough, you're going to pass out. Right. But he he manages to maintain this awkward position. And he he's hunched over and moving like something you'd see out of a horror movie. Uh, it's just it's legitimately creepy, but it's almost like a train wreck. Like you can't look away. <laughs> like you're waiting for him to be a normal person again. And he just never does. Like it's, 
it's very odd to see, but in terms of his vocals, I mean, a band I would never even touch on a cover. Mm. Like it, you Maynard, can't match Maynard. Maynard is one of my favorite writers. He's yeah. one of the ones yeah. I look at like a great poet. Like that guy's writing is just phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. You know yeah. I mean? yeah. Tool for me was probably high school years was the first time I heard a tool song. And I listened to that band for probably a good three years after that. Just trying to learn, you know, a couple of different riffs by him. I can I can play a couple of Tool songs, but not many. Which do you prefer, Tool or a Perfect Circle? Tool. Yeah. Yeah, I think a Perfect Circle had a they had a lot of good music, but uh, it just didn't have that same feel that yeah. Tool did. It it wasn't as unique. It wasn't as original. Like I I felt like it was an offshoot that Maynard. He probably had a moment where he said, you know, I kind of want to hit the mainstream a little bit. (laughs) Just touch it. Yeah, I've got this diehard cult following and it's great, Uh but I think I could probably top a chart, you know, with a different style. And he did. Yeah, Judith. And then in terms of the lyrical content, a song you wouldn't think would even be allowed on a radio. Right. Like, yeah, he literally screams, fuck your God in that song. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I I enjoy a perfect circle. I think in in terms of guitar work, it's uh, that's still got a unique good. feel. Yeah, he's that a great guitar good. player. Judith is a deceptively difficult song. I looked up tablature to it and immediately closed it. I was like, <laughs> nope, not even gonna try. I have. I hate talking like this because I feel like such a schmuck, but mm-hmm. I have the technical ability to play the song. Yeah, but. I'm not real good with a slide. Sure. And that. Yeah, that's that's he's a lot of that is done with a slide. Yeah. But he's like he's putting on and taking off the slide while he's playing. those Wow. I did not know that. I'm not that good. No, that's tough. Like in between riffs he'll like reach you see him do it in the music video they show it really where at one point he's playing like the heavy riff yeah and then when he switches back into that other part he reaches over and grabs the slide sticks it on his finger and starts going i'm not that fast no you know what i mean i'm not that good yeah the timing would be (laughs) ridiculous and that's that's where guys like um you know the lead guitar from tool with the volume you know, messing with knobs as you're trying to still strum and yep. keep up a rhythm. Yeah, I uh, I have trouble with that. I mean, I could if you give me a long sustained chord, absolutely, sure. that's easy. But if I'm in the middle of a riff and I got to reach down with my pinky and try to manipulate a knob in a way that's going to create that same sound, I'm going to blow yep. it. I'm not that good. <laughs> so I'll probably end up just muting my guitar entirely. Yep. Like it, it takes a lot of precision to do what Tool does. I, and I think they probably spend more time playing music than a lot of other bands do based on the way that you hear oh, yeah. the, the things come together. I, I feel like that's a real dedicated band. Right. Let me ask you one more thing and then we'll get ready to wrap this up because yeah. we're, we're, we're just eating time here. <laughs> <laughs> now, it pertains to my final controversial opinion about bands. Yeah. How do you feel about Eddie Van Halen? I think Eddie Van Halen is overrated. Excellent. Yeah. Finally, someone agrees because people get mad when you say that. See, I don't understand that. All he did was tap. Like he, he was known for it. He he's great at it. But at the end of the day, I don't think he's any more talented than any other guitar player just because he can play taps. Right. Like it. 
it gets old. It gets played out real quick. I think, see, now, I think he was a good, he was a great guitar player. Sure. He was a great guitar, regardless of the tapping and all that. He was, a, he was a great guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, I shared a video the other day on Facebook. It was a, a guy covering the solo from, uh, uh, Beat It by Michael Jackson. Yeah, I remember that. Eddie Van Halen, that was like a collaboration between Michael Jackson and Eddie Van Halen, that yeah. song. yep. That fucking guitar solo is wicked. Oh, you yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so technically it's very difficult to play. Eddie Van Halen was a great guitar player, but again, in my opinion, he was not a very good songwriter. No, yeah, I'd Most of Van Halen's best songs mm. were cover songs. Yeah. Yep. Most of their best songs were cover songs. And don't tell me that Sympathy for the... Or not Sympathy. That's the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Running with the Devil is not a good song. <laughs> no. You want to know why no, Running so with either. the Devil is not a good song? Have you ever... I don't know if I can play it. I'll show it to you when we get off air if I can find it. Look yeah. up on YouTube. Somebody isolated David Lee Roth's vocals oh, yeah. out of that song. Yep. It's atrocious. I've heard it. <laughs> Have yeah. you heard it? Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> it's horrible. I don't, I don't think David Lee Roth was all that great of a vocalist. No, I don't think so either. But yeah. he was a great showman. Yeah. That was, see, now from what I've heard about Van Halen, my dad went and saw Van Halen back in the 70s. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? And my dad said that Van Halen put on a hell of a show. I'd be willing to, yeah. You know what I mean? I'd be willing to bet that was the case. But I'm a pretentious twat, and I care more about (laughs) songwriting quality than I do. Than a stage show. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was uh, one of the things that I was impressed with about Coheed and Cambria when I saw him live. Um, In terms of, like, lyrical content, and real unique and the guitar work was really good but claudio is a showman yeah. on stage that guy he's playing with his teeth he's playing behind his head like he at certain points he he kind of just goes back into you know staring down at the floor and playing his guitar <laughs> and then he just comes out with these like tricks and he's still playing like you know album quality right it's like damn well this guy i mean he doesn't i don't think there was a single point in that show where i saw him look at a fretboard yeah. Like he that man knows the instrument that he's playing down yeah. to the T. It's like a part of him. So it, it that was impressive to me. When it comes to like album quality playing and shit. Probably my all-time favorite band is Incubus. Yeah. yeah More Incubus than likely, is... I would say if I had to really put it down on paper, Incubus is my all-time favorite band. I dove hard into that band in my early 20s. Yeah. Like hard they had a lot of good music um i think the first song that really turned me on to them was probably pardon me um a little bit later in their career but i started listening to their earlier stuff after that their earlier stuff yeah, is it killer, was heavy yeah. heavy music yeah I, I really didn't expect that like pardon me had that huge like chorus riff yep. where it's just blasting distorted power chords i was like man this is bad <laughs> I, I was really impressed by that band too but yeah, that whole album was a little bit on the poppier side than their older stuff like most bands right but, uh yeah definitely talented musicians if you if you do get the chance to see them live i've heard they put on a really good show they do i've seen them Three times, I think. I know I've seen him at least twice. Mm. I'm pretty sure I've seen him three times. But I know that... Here's the the bummer moment. 
Both times that I know for sure that I saw Incubus, mm. the guitar player fucked up the guitar riff in my favorite song. Mm. <laughs> that was a that was a bit of a bummer moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? That'd be a little bit of a My favorite moment. Incubus song is Nice to Know You. Yeah, and that's a great he, song. And it sounds a little cliche because it's off of their more mainstream album. Yeah. yeah. But I love that song because it is like the quintessential fuck you song <laughs> right you know what i mean yeah. and that that's one reason why i love incubus so much is brandon boyd's lyrics yeah that guy like climbed inside of my brain and wrote everything <laughs> that i've ever wanted to say yeah you know what i mean is that how dimebag daryl got shot yeah but i'm not a crazy uh, obsessed fan <laughs> like i'm not gonna go gonna track say, the guy down the guy that <laughs> shot him said that pantera could read his mind yeah no or Brandon Boyd, I'm not crazy. I swear <laughs> to God, like I'm not gonna hunt you down. As a matter of fact, I really don't want to meet you because I don't, I don't want to ruin the mystique. Yeah, you know sure. what I mean. At that point, it's like I admire this guy because he's a great poet. If he's an asshole, it'll kill it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. It'll destroy it. I think a lot of people had that moment with Metallica with Lars after the Napster lawsuit. Yeah. They were like, man, fuck you, really? Lars. Like, you're just a money-grubbing asshole, huh? That blows. <laughs> Every time I think of Lars, I, th- I will forever think of Jim Brewer. Yeah. Have you seen that stand-up? Yeah. I paid a lot of fucking money for these cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> he did a pretty good James Hetfield impression, too. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. does. <laughs> yeah. When he does the hokey pokey. <laughs> Look that yeah. shit up on YouTube. It's from... Jim Brewer's, I think it was his first Comedy Central special. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, because it was out in like the early 2000s. I remember being in like eighth grade watching this just dying. Yeah, he was hilarious. But he does, he makes fun of ACDC with the hokey pokey. Yep. And he makes fun of Metallica. I forget what song he has him play, but all he does is just stand there and scream, yeah, yeah. and ooh. <laughs> oh, it's um, Old MacDonald had a farm. Oh, yeah. He had a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good stand-up that he had. But on that note, we, we have hit the three-and-a-half-hour mark, so yeah. <laughs> it's getting late. You want to call this thing a night? Yeah, yeah, right. probably head to the bar and have a couple of drinks. Have a couple of drinks. Pass out for the evening. <laughs> Enjoy a relaxing Sunday without snow, hopefully. Oh, yeah. We'll be safe on your way home. Oh, yeah, we'll do. Dude, thanks again for coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for doing three-and-a-half hours. <laughs> no big deal. That was a lot of fun. That was a great conversation. Oh, yeah, agreed. That was a great conversation. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks again for coming out. Everybody, I hope you like the show. Um, Eric, you know, was number one for 11 weeks. Let's see if we can push him back up to a, number one for 11 weeks again. 100, 100 views in a month. 100, 100 views in a month. That's what I'm, that's what I'm shooting for. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. So we'll go for that. You guys know the routine. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. Send us an email. Mail to the underground 21 at gmail.com. Other than that, share the show with your friends, subscribe to the show, and uh, until next time, we'll see you guys later.
episode was brought to you by Northern Enlightenment Studios, a division of Northern Enlightenment Entertainment Media. We hope you have enjoyed this program. Goodbye. In the transmission.